What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast, episode 53. And uh, I got to talk to the creator of The Landing Strip. It's a comic strip focused on the aviation community. His name is Lieutenant Zach Morris. He's uh, an interesting guy, and it was cool to not just talk to him about his creative outlet, which is the comic strip, but also kind of its origins and also get the perspective of a, an officer in the aviation community and kind of talk to him about the the way leadership is structured in his community, how it differs from a lot of others and get some of his uh, perspectives on that and just leadership in general. Um, it was a great interview. I, ha- I had a lot of fun talking to him. And uh, it, again, just to get an officer's perspective, it's it's been like pulling teeth to, to get some officers on the on the podcast. So I was pretty excited to be able to have this conversation with him. And I hope you guys enjoy it. All right. So like I said, just uh, give me your background, as much detail as you want, uh, like naval experience and how you got to this point. OK, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so Lieutenant Zach Morris, that's uh, that's me. Um, so I I guess had inklings of potentially joining the Navy growing up. I considered it in high school. Uh, September 11th happened when I was in junior high. And so that kind of brought the military to the forefront of everyone kind of at my age uh, when we were in our developmental years. Um, High school came around. There was always talk of a draft being instilled. And we all sort of debated from time to time about, you know, would we want to serve? Would we take the call to service and and be excited about it? Or uh, is it something that we feared? Ultimately, the draft, as you know, never happened. Um, but we still kind of talked about it. And so the seed had been planted. And I have, as most people do, someone in, in the family has been in the military. I had a cousin who was uh, pretty close to me in age that served for a few years in the army right after September 11th. My His dad, my uncle, uh, we did a term of service for the Air Force back in, I believe, the 80s. So there's been some some family history there. But yeah. I didn't really think about it too much until after I graduated college. And I went to a liberal arts school. And so I had uh, a background in fine arts. And, you know, as most artists come to find out once they graduate college, hey, there's not a whole lot of money yeah. in this. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was so a graphic I, design student right before September 11th. And uh, there, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know the pain. Yeah. So I do. My background was uh, in uh, theater design. And so I did um, I did some acting and some uh, lighting design and all that stuff. But mostly I was interested in painting, um, designing and building sets. Uh, from the time I was a kid, I kind of had an interest in architecture. And my senior year, I was like all gung ho to find a program in architecture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then things changed and I decided ultimately to, to look at a small local school that was about an hour and a half up the highway. And, uh, mostly cause I was interested in, yeah, I might go out for some sports. If it's a division three school, I might actually be able to get on the team there. Yeah. Well, they didn't have an architecture program. And so I get there and I'm like, well, you know, do I, I, I love architecture. Do I want to look at a transfer option? And then somebody talked to me about, you know, have you, have you designed sets before? Do you have any interest in that? Um, I had, I had put, I'd done one show in my entire life up to that point. Um, it was Romeo and Juliet in high school. Like every, every small town in the right. Midwest does Romeo <laughs> and Juliet. And so I had been a part of that production and, uh, kind of, I don't want to say I caught the bug or anything, but I, I did put on the entrance or the admission uh, program that I filled out for my college that, you know, I, I was kind of interested in learning more about possibly getting involved in the theater program. And so 
Uh, then, you know, then the theater program immediately calls you and is like, Hey, we got your questionnaire. And, yeah. uh, so then I kind of found that there's a little bit of element to that there, you know, you have to put, it's a lot of drafting, just like you were building something permanent, right. except that you're just building something that's going to get torn down in six weeks when the show's over. So, um, it's a similar process, uh, drafting, constructing, you have to know principles of, uh, at least some baseline principles of mathematics in order to you know, put force on certain boards or, or make things look a certain way. So it was kind of fulfilling. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, you, then you get out of college and there's not a whole lot of call for that. Uh, at yeah. least if you're trying to be wealthy, which I think every American <laughs> wants that. And so, uh, so fast forward a little bit. So I graduated and then, uh, worked some part-time jobs. Uh, the biggest job that I had was working for the department of education in my home state um, in a job that I was horrendously not qualified for. I was, uh, in the IT staff, which I had zero, oh, okay. le- yeah. less than zero background in. And I was just working the very baseline, like helping people reset their passwords. Um, just working, working with teachers and administrators throughout the state. And then that was about the time, I think I was 25 then. And I just kind of caught the, the feeling of dread that, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties. It's not quite uh, you know, it's more like a quarter life crisis, I guess, but I was kind of just feeling like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I don't have a background in this is not something I had, uh, you know, a calling for to, to work at a help desk my whole life. And so yeah. I, I started to think more about the military at that point. And my dad always told me, Hey, you know, if I had it to do over again, I would have retired. I would have joined the military. I would have, you know, he had a small stint in the Navy, but he would have yeah. stayed in the Navy and done his 20 years and gotten out. And I was like, well, you know, then I wouldn't be here. So I'm glad that you didn't do that. But, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, my dad said something similar. He was in, uh, on a destroyer in Vietnam and he just kept telling me the whole time I was in. He's just like, just like, it's a, that pension's pretty great. I would fucking do it all over again. I'd stick around, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I think you're so far removed from the the realities of daily military life that you're not quite sure what you're saying. But oh, here sure. I am. And, and here, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, then you get in the military and you start thinking about those things again. Do I want to do my my quick tour and get out? And yeah. Uh, or do I want to stay in a re-up and try to make it to 20? And so it's a it's a daily battle. Uh, right. But yeah, so I was about 25 and I, I started to think, okay, it's time. I, I got to I gotta really give some consideration to the military. And I, I looked at all the branches. I considered the pros and cons of all of them, but I really kind of narrowed down to the Navy and the Coast Guard. Uh, I really just wanted to be on a coast somewhere and and kind of, I grew up in the Midwest and so very landlocked and, yeah. um, you know, the beach was considered a vacation for us. And yeah, so I, want, yeah. I wanted to kind of like live where we vacationed mm. and... Um, so at the time, I was, it was my girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife, but we uh, we talked about it. And at first she was very, you know, lukewarm on the issue, which, you know, I admittedly, I kind of put her in an uncomfortable place because I hadn't done a ton of research. I just said, hey, I'm yeah. going to go talk to a recruiter. And she's like, you know, <laughs> pump the brakes here for a second. And I'm going uh, to throw a hand grenade into our entire life plan. Are you cool yes, with yes. that? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you cool with that? Uh, there's not a ring on your finger, so you don't have to be cool with it. Yeah, um, right. No, no, no. And uh, and she was like, well, I don't think I'm quite ready to do that. And and very understandably so. Uh, so about six months go by and I'm just kind of precautiously learning more and more about it. Um, and then one of my part-time jobs was uh, working the weekends on or at a uh, car wash, one, one of the kind that are uh, automated, but you still have somebody that's like pushing a button in the yeah. front, you know, spraying the bugs off the bumper. Well, that was me. I was, I was the bug okay. sprayer. And, uh, and this guy comes up or, or drives up and it's actually two gentlemen in there in uh, 
what used to be the NWU's like the blueberries. Yep. And, uh, and I recognized that. And so I, I sprayed their bugs. And then before I hit the button, I knocked on the window and, and they were very confused looking. And I said, Hey, are you guys by any chance recruiters? Cause I'm really interested in, in lo- learning more about the Navy and I'd love to, to talk to you. And he was like, it's your lucky day. We're actually recruiters. And oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what, what are the odds? But in, in Indiana, real life, it's, it was their lucky day that somebody walked up to fill one of their right. quotas. So exactly. Like, I think I, you know, I made their That's job funny. easy, yeah. but at the, you know, now looking back, like somebody in the, in the Navy in the middle of Indiana, well, of course they were a recruiter. You right. Know, who's going to, of course, yeah, Who what else job is there? taking you there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so I talked to them and, uh, I, this is the boring part. I'll just fast forward. Um, but I, I talked to them, had a, it turns out they were an enlisted recruiter and, and I was still very early in my knowing what the military was structured like and anything. So I just thought, Oh, recruiter, I'll go talk to him. And they were talking to me about all this and that. And then I started to think, well, you know, I, I kind of want to enlist. Uh, I, I have a degree. Sure. But I, you know, I don't think maybe, uh, you know, theater design and a minor in psychology would really get me anywhere. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I went there, I, I talked to the recruiter, went to a, a MEPS day that I had scheduled. I took the ASVAB and, uh, then I went and raised my right hand and I was all squared away. I was going to actually come join you on a submarine. I was nice. uh, going to be, I guess what they call ping jockey. Um, so I, I was a sonar technician <laughs> yeah. is yep. what my, my rate was. And so, uh, I was all set. I had a boot camp uh, launch date or, or a ship out date. Uh, about eight months or eight weeks into the future. And so I was like frantically trying to lose weight and get in shape and all that. Yeah. And then uh, Thanksgiving rolls around and my family's like, hey man, like this is awesome that you're doing it, but you talk to see if you can get into an officer program. And I said, well, I've, I've got a ship out date. I, I think uh, it's probably too late. I can just enlist for a few years and, and then uh, see what my options are. And my dad's like, well, you know, make them tell you no. You know, yeah, I know that you think- I love he, it. I know he's like Good job, he, dad. That's like right. one of my favorite phrases is like at, for sailors asking about like special programs and I want to do this and I want to do that. It's like a, a lot of times they'll go talk to like a career counselor and they'll give them all these like reasons why they can't do it. It's like make them tell you no, man. Route of 1306, put the application in, whatever, make them tell you no. And like right. a lot of times when you when you do the research and put the put the application in, it turns out that you are eligible for the program and like you are competitive for the program and a lot of people get selected for it. So yeah, 100%. I love it. 100%. I, I, you know, I was kind of, I wouldn't say like tail between my legs, but I I was just thinking, you know, well, I've got this very uncompetitive degree. There's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, need for what I studied in the military. And so, uh, you know, sure, dad, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you said. I'll go back to Indiana and I'll go talk to the officer recruiter. There's one just up the street in Indianapolis. So went and did that and they were like, oh yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of programs that don't require specific degrees. Now you can't go be like a sub nuke, uh, without a chemistry background or biology or some kind of science. But, um, you know, surprisingly you could be a pilot if you wanted. And I was like, Ooh, that's the, that sounds way cooler. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Um, so, um, and I, you know, I, kind of knew about pilot a little bit because my, uh, one of my best friends in high school, uh, played football with him. He's locker next to me and all that. Um, He's a, a growler pilot okay. and I talked to him about it. Now he did study aviation, but I said, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the selection process like for aviation? Do I need to have studied physics or aerospace engineering or any of those tremendously boring sounding subjects? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, no, nah. he's like, no, nah, there's, there's no requirement for selection. So put in that application, go, go talk to the recruiter and, and yeah. you know, I'll write a letter of reference for you if you want. 
And so did all that and uh, tested. They are, we have another test. I'd already taken the ASVAB, but there's another test called the ASTB that, uh, that so supposedly um, predicts flight school success for up to two years. Um, and so it's something that, uh, that is used to determine this flight student is definitely going to get through flight school, which is, you know, two years is how long flight school is. And so they they designed it in such a way that it's, uh, it's got a kind of a long shelf life for prediction. And I passed it and they were like, okay, you did, you did well enough. Let's put in that application. Do you want to be, uh, do you want to be a pilot? You want to be a flight officer? Um, and for anyone listening that doesn't know, that's the the guys that sit in the back, uh, or gals, uh, that sit in the back of jets and, uh, they they call them backseaters, but they, they handle a lot of the, the, the heavy lifting of the flying so that the pilots can focus on flying the aircraft and employing, uh, missiles and, and various other ordnance. Uh, we also have NFOs on, uh, you know, big wing aircraft like P8s that run the computer systems, but, um, so I put those two first. I put pilot and then NFO. And then after that, I put, I think, Intel officer. Um, but luckily, I was picked up for pilot. It was my first choice. And so awesome. a couple of weeks went by. Um, and then I then I get a call from the recruiter said, hey, uh, you said you wanted to be a pilot. Well, I'm here to tell you you're going to be. And so, which is, you know, way too early to say that sentence because okay. the work had not even begun <laughs> yet. But <laughs> I was at least accepted. It's exciting. Uh, in, yeah. Into the, the process. So, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, then I frantically got married. Uh, I was all planning originally on shipping out for boot camp, And so we planned a wedding in like five weeks, um, to get, to get just quickly married so that we could, uh, ensure that my, my wife could, um, you know, be getting, uh, or receiving the BAH that I was getting while at OCS. Right. And so we got married and then my, my ship out date went from uh, January, uh, to my OCS ship out date, which was in June. And so, or July rather. And so then, you know, I, that gave me the rest of the summer and, uh, then went from there, uh, went to OCS and, uh, pretty uneventful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's like a, a 12 week program, 13 week program, something like that. And it was, uh, still to this day, I've been in the Navy for nearly six years and I still to this day, I think OCS was my favorite part. Uh, it was really? first, my first exposure. I know it's, it's fairly counterintuitive because, it's a lot like boot camp for us. Um, yeah, I've seen a that, little bit when I was at New in Newport for the Senior Listed Academy. There you go. Uh, yeah, I got to see exactly you guys running around. Yeah, it's like, uh, a lot of people yeah. I talk to are like, you know, I, I don't miss drill instructors, uh, yeah. Marine Corps drill instructors screaming at me every single day. And, you know, to some extent, I, I obviously don't miss that. But uh, that was the I was kind of looking I was trying to look at the bigger picture and think, you know, this is my first exposure to honor, courage, commitment, uh, discipline, yeah. having a kind of a regimented structure to my life. And, uh, you know, I've heard people say that were priors in my OCS class. Oh, boot camp was way harder. And, I, you know, that that probably is the case. Uh, but for me, at that time in my life, I was mid 20s. I needed something like that to uh, yeah. kind of kickstart me and change my, my mindset know, I, a little bit. It looked like you guys were getting after it, man. I don't think that... <laughs> I don't think there were certainly who's probably just talking, talking like it up to make it sound like it was hard, but <laughs> I, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's looking back. Hindsight's always 2020. You can always yeah. look back and say, oh, yeah, well, right. my day. Right. I went to boot camp back in my day. Five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. We jogged uphill both ways <laughs> yep. for 25 miles each. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so OCS happened, very uneventful, except I really enjoyed it. And then uh, graduated. I was lucky to graduate on Halloween. And so we all joked that we nice. were dressing up as naval officers for Halloween. <laughs> and uh, then I uh, had three months of what we call OHARP, which is, oh, shoot, I can't remember what that stands for. But essentially, you go back to whatever duty station sent you to OCS. Okay. Uh, or not duty station. I'm sorry, recruiting district. And so I went back to the recruiting station, checked in on day one, had my, you know, my fresh ensign butter bar. And I was like, what can I do for you? You know, what, what, what jobs do you have for me? And they're like, uh, this is Indianapolis. Uh, we don't need you. Staples and I was like, paper together. <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah, just, just check in, tell us you're alive and well every morning. And, uh, you know, you can go about your life for three months. And I was like, are you kidding me? I joined the Navy and this is what I have to do. And so I, initially I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, man, OCS was kind of a kick in the pants. And then I get here and I don't have to even do anything. Um, now I look back and think, oh man, I didn't take advantage of, uh, you know, that awesome time when you have no yeah. responsibility. In the Navy. <laughs> yep. Um, so that, that went by and then, then I had orders for, uh, three months later to, to show up in Pensacola. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's where the, the dream of Naval, Avi- Naval aviation begins. And I get down there and, uh, the same thing happened. You check in and they're like, well, you know, you're, you're, we're going to put you in what's called a pool, which is, uh, we don't have a space for you yet. There's kind of a backlog in the pipeline. And so, yeah, so a pool, they just, they put you there. They don't have room for you. So they stash you and it ended up being another three months of all I had to do is just show up each morning in uniform saying I'm alive. And then they pass like a couple of things to us and then say, go enjoy the beach. Yep. And so, you know, for the first six months of my commission career, it was oh, pretty enjoyable. Geez, that's awesome. Yeah. And then after that, you start, uh, you fly, it's very crawl, walk, run. Uh, you start mm. flying Cessna 172s, which are like little Farmer John airplanes. Yeah. Um, so you learn basically this is what an airplane is. And then you do that for 10 flights and then you start uh, flight school. And everyone in aviation uh, for the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard, everybody starts flight school. We all take it together. Uh, oh, even okay. the Coast Guard joins us. Um, nice. And we all start flying this aircraft called the T-6. And uh, if you've ever seen, been in that part of the country and you see the orange and white aircraft, that signifies trainer. And it's the uh, you know propeller jet-powered aircraft mm-hmm. that uh, everyone starts off in. And it's, um, it's a, again, it's another predictability model. They, they use that and your aptitude in that to determine, you know, if you're, if you're crushing the game in that, then you're probably strong enough that you could go on to fly fighter jets. Yeah. Um, if you struggle a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe airplanes aren't your thing, maybe helicopters will be your thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, somewhere in the middle of that, they determined, oh, you'd be really good at flying P8s, the big wings. Right. Um, so that's about a two year process. I'm sorry. It's about a, an eight month process that you're in the T6. Then you figure out where you're going. I ended up getting helicopters yeah. and then you go from there and, uh, I feel like to- if I had to pick, I'd want to fly a helicopter. That just sounds cool to me. You know, I, know. I struggled with it. Uh, I definitely, most people have ideas of what they want to fly. Um, yeah. Most people want to fly jets when they right. show up. Everybody wants to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants that. It's not a generalization to say that. It's it's the truth. Um, I won't say that that I was like that. I, I, I always thought jets would be kind of interesting to fly or fun, but I never right. really considered myself, uh, you know, that kind of um, you, you sort of have, you do have to have a kind of personality and I'm not going to throw shade or anything, but you do kind of have to have a certain confidence in your ability and bravado yeah. to, to take I, on all the stress. Cause you're I equate there- them to like, I just, I, I, I don't know how much you listen to the podcast, but I put one out about, I have cancer, right? So like I have, uh, I just had a tumor removed and it was like 
basically brain surgery. Like they didn't pop my skull open or anything. They went up through my nose. But like when I met with all those surgeons, I mean, these guys are like top of the heap. Like <laughs> they're doing like a, like a neurosurgeon and a ENT surgeon. And I mean, these guys are like, they're not arrogant, but like they know how good they are at their job. You know what I yeah. mean? And that's exactly who I want doing that. So it's no, like, yeah, it makes without question, sense, without sure. question, you have exceptional helicopter pilots and you have exceptional yeah. P8 pilots out there that if they had wanted to go jets, they probably could have. They had the grades for it. They had the aptitude for it. So you're going to have rock star pilots everywhere you go, but they have uh, in flight school, you have what uh, similar to a GPA in school, you have what's called yeah. an NSS or a Naval uh, standard score, I think is what it stands for. But, Mm -hmm. uh, it's this total totality score that you're getting from the grades that you get on every single flight. And it's grades on things like head work, uh, situational awareness. Uh, did you use the right comms? Did you do flight planning correctly? All the little things that kind of make up the whole of being a pilot. And, uh, you get graded on everything. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not a fun process. I don't think anyone will ever tell you they, they truly had fun in flight school. Now they might say I had a blast flying the T six and there were some flights that I loved it, but most of the time you're there getting evaluated every single day. And so that's not a fun experience. Um, and it's also a way, you know, the, the primary leg of flight school, which is when you're flying that T six is, you know, the Navy will never say it, but it's probably a screening process. Uh, they, they want to make sure that, that if you're not cut out for this, then, you know, they're not going to, they don't want to waste a lot of money on somebody that would rather be doing something else in the Navy, or, or maybe right. they, they thought the Navy was going to be something that turned out not to be. It's okay to admit that. And then you move along and the Navy hasn't yeah. wasted a lot of time in you and you haven't hated your life for two years. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a process that you get to kind of taste what aviation is going to be like first. Yeah. Um, so from there, yeah, uh, jet pilots are typically um, going to require a higher NSS, like I was saying, it's like the GPA and they have a minimum cutoff. You have to have a minimum of 50. At least that's what it was when I was going through. Uh, You have to have a minimum of that to even be considered. If you had a 48, sorry, you're going to be a really, (laughs) a really talented helicopter pilot or or something. But uh, now I have definitely met people that had 70 NSSs that just wanted to fly helos. And if you have a high enough NSS, they generally will give you what you want. Um, Particularly if you're the best in your little selection class. Do they force you? Because like kind of like nukes, right? You, like if you cut a high enough ASVAB score, they all the recruiters immediately want you to be a nuke, and it's yeah. just because they're so it's so hard to find people with the right ma- mental makeup and aptitude for that and to do that thing. Um, I don't, and, I don't think that's yeah. any different. Yeah, I don't think that's any different in aviation. There, there are okay. certainly we call them like drafts. You know, like mm. you're, if your selection class, your little team, there's usually about fifteen or so people selecting uh, every other week. And, uh, if, if they're in a time when they need a lot of helicopter pilots, well, it sucks, but you're probably going to get yeah. drafted into okay. helos. Gotcha. The top guy or gal in the class are probably going to get whatever they want. And then after yeah. that, it's like me to the Navy. Um, are you, are you able to like, so like, let's say your NSS score super high, but they just need a ton of po- helicopter pilots. Is it like, is there a time where if that shifts a helicopter pilot with a super high NSS score could like laterally transfer? Yep. Yep. And, okay. uh, and what you'll find is that's happening now. Okay. Um, in fact, I have a friend who was in my OCS class, crushed flight school, super brainiac, uh, mechanical engineering guy. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, considering going the lat transfer. There was an instructor in, uh, that I flew with once in, uh, which we'll get to in a second, the fleet replacement squadron. 
um, you get there and he was a, a rock star and he actually finished his tour there and then lat transferred into jets. So there, the dream is not dead. If you really wanted jets and you are just caught in a helo draft because you didn't have the top grade in the class, then there's opportunity down the road. Gotcha. Um, some that some people will take, but you know, I was very, uh, you know, I did not crush flight school by, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And so yeah. I, uh, I w- willfully accepted my slotting as a helicopter pilot. Um, and then you, once you finish that process where you fly the T six, they say, okay, you are, it's like the sorting hat in Harry Potter. You are now a helicopter pilot. Yeah. Uh, so then I moved down the street to advanced flight school and that's where you go to kind of learn what your community is about. My community is helicopters. Gotcha. So then I started flying the little trainer helicopter that looks like, you know, a police chopper or yeah. a news channel chopper, like a little basic thing, no, no ammunition or anything on it. And, uh, you know, flew that for another year or so. And then you graduate, you get your wings of gold, which everybody, you know, yep. makes such a fuss about, uh, as they should. And, uh, I was, I was Naval Aviator 33,000 something. I, you know, I have it written down somewhere, but, um, you see that number and you see your name with the wings of gold imprinted, um, and it starts to become a reality Yeah, and, uh, it kind of hits you. And then from there you decide, well, where am I going? Cause now I'm going to the fleet or at least there's one more stop before the fleet, but I'm going to my coast. And for us as helicopter pilots, it's either Norfolk, Virginia or San Diego. Okay. Um, if you're a jet pilot, you got a couple other places that you can go. P eight, P three pilots can go a couple other places, but for us, it's Guam, it's San Diego, it's Japan or it's Norfolk. So if you want to stay in the United States, you got kind of two options. And, uh, I ended up getting San Diego, um, flying MH 60 Sierras, um, which are the big gray helicopters that are used as search and rescue helicopters for, uh, that's what most people know them as. Um, and so I go to San Diego, I check into the fleet replacement squadron, which, uh, is kind of like an extension of flight school. You have your wings at that point, but you're still kind of in another school where you're learning a new aircraft. So they have to teach you as if you're a student. And, uh, that was another year. So that's kind of the interesting thing. It's, uh, that the kind of the first difference, big difference between aviation and pretty much every other community is you show up and you've already been in the Navy. By the time you get to your first job, your first duty station, your first like real taste of what being in the fleet is, you're already almost a Lieutenant, uh, from our perspective. Um, I was, I was Lieutenant's four years, four years. Correct. Yep. Uh, most people make Lieutenant JG, which is the first rank up after ensign. You make that, uh, in flight school. Yeah. Um, unless you, unless you just get through flight school very quickly, which some people do, um, most of the time between weather cancellations or, uh, incompleting flights, needing a, an extra take on a couple of flights, like most yeah. people have to do a couple of times. Uh, by the time you get your wings, you're pretty close to that two year mark, which is the kind of the promotion time for Lieutenant JG. So I was a JG. I showed up to the fleet. I went and did my year at the FRS in San Diego. And so I'm well past my halfway point at that point to even making Lieutenant. So I show up to my fleet squadron and I'm, you know, six months away from being a lieutenant and I have never done anything that I'm showing up to do, but yet that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it, you see the, you see the lieutenant bars on the shoulder yeah. and, and people are like, Oh, that dude's been, been in at least four years. So he's yeah. going to be an expert. And you're like, Whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't necessarily know a whole lot, you know, in aviation, and, and I, I don't mean any, you know, shade on my community whatsoever. And in, in aviation, I think most people feel this way that 
you show up as a lieutenant and it's kind of the same almost as showing up as an ensign in, in say, uh, being a SWO or being uh, a sub nuke. Um, you're, you're going through your school and you show up and it's the same level of experience. We have a ton of experience that we get flying helicopters, but when you, when you start learning how to be a basic officer, uh, mm-hmm. how to be a division officer, yeah. uh, uh, any sort of role that you're fulfilling as a leader, you're not really getting that in aviation until you're uh, an O3. Um, and so that, that's kind of the biggest difference I think in aviation between any other community. Yeah. Sub nukes are probably the closer to what you guys do. They, Cause by the time they get to us, they're JGs almost yeah. like pretty much universally. And they're, they're lieutenants, not like a, not long. It depends. Cause so, like you, like the, it always varies like the timeline, but that's about true. a yeah. year, year and a half. School. They're a full lieutenant. Yeah. Power school takes a long time. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's definitely yep. a, a closer comparison. I just know that in my OCS class, the the guys and gals that selected SWO, yeah. uh, they had like a six week basic division officer course, BDOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then they go to the fleet. They already know oh, yeah. what their ship is. Whenever yep. they are graduating OCS, they get this quick little, you know, primer on how to be a divo and then, then whoop, see you in the fleet. And uh, yeah. then they show up as an ensign and that's, that's, you know, where everybody, you know, kind of makes fun of the butter bars because yeah. you show up and you're like, you know, you've been in the Navy since breakfast and, and uh, you know, you look like a baby in a, in a yeah. military uniform. And yeah, that's kind of the same as we experience in, uh, in aviation and probably similar to the sub-nuke world. You show up and you've got the rank that, that people makes, or it makes people think you know what you're talking about. Uh, but in a lot of cases, you're learning as you go. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, I've been in the fleet for two years, uh, three years now. So, okay. well, let me say two and a half years, uh, our, once we graduate the FRS, we check into our squadron, which I did back in 2018. And I have been in now for going on two and a half years, got six months left in the fleet. And then I will probably, uh, if all goes well, hopefully uh, I'll get a, an instructor job somewhere. Nice. Uh, probably, uh, my, my goal would be to go back to Pensacola and teach, uh, the basic flight school students, um, just kind of primary or advanced flight school. Um, so that, that's where I'm at in my career. It's, uh, between flight school, the FRS, the fleet, I'm right about six months or six years in the fleet or in, uh, in the Navy. And is the plan to stick around like your dad was saying? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, and it's a, it's a question whose answer changes almost daily. Yeah, I'm with um, you, man. <laughs> I I look at I look at the department heads uh, that I have been lucky enough to learn from in my fleet squadron, and I, some days I see their job and I'm like, you know what? They've inspired me a lot. I I would love. I've met some some department heads that I would like to emulate. Right. And then there are days when they're just getting their you know what yep. pushed in. <sighs> And then I'm like, do I really want to sign on yep. for that? So yep. I'm <laughs> but with that's, you, man. An, that's anywhere uh, in the Navy, any, any upward mobility, you, you look at the, the person that's in that job now and you're like, do I want to deal with what they have to deal with? And some days the answer is yes. Some days it's no. Um, I've, I've also got some other ideas that, uh, you know, that I might explore in a lat transfer portal, um, somewhere down the road. Um, but for the time being, my goal closest skater to the boat, as they say, is to go back to Pensacola. Yeah. And uh, I should find out in a couple of months. Uh, nice. Usually they, they give you about six months out. You, you get your orders to where you're going next and you know kind of what to expect. Yeah. Gotcha. So how I'm curious, because this, this is interesting to me, like anytime I see somebody that's like doing something as different as like you are 
from what I know you from, which is the landing strip <laughs> on social media. It's like how, which it makes more sense now that I know your background as an art student and everything else. But like, what, like, what is the landing strip and how did it happen? And like, where do you see it going as the landing far as strip, like, yeah, like how did that happen? Is it just a creative outlet or like, are you trying to accomplish something or is it potentially a future business if you do transition out? Like, how do you, how do you foresee that? Uh, you know, it, it, it's an evolving project, I would say. Yeah. Um, I started it. It's, I'm going to hit five years here in the summer. Okay. Um, I started it way back in flight school before flight school even started. So okay. when, when you check in, like I mentioned, you check in, they throw you in a pool and you're just kind of waiting to get to primary flight school. Well, in between that time, there is a thing called API, which is aviation pre-flight indoctrination. Um, and what that amounts to is about six weeks of pretty uh, strenuous, I guess you could say, uh, schoolwork. Um, it's pretty intense. You are in class, you know, 12 hours a day, probably. You're building up. You take about one or two, depending on the week, tests that week. And then you move on to the next, it's a crash course. You know, you're not expected to, to know everything that you learn in that class long-term, but it's, it's an indoctrination. It's another one of the Navy's built-in screening processes. Yeah. Um, and before they want to stick you in a, a million dollar aircraft or several million dollar aircraft, I should say, they want to make sure that you've got the gumption to, to actually bunker down and study. Um, and so they, they put you through this API process. And like I said, it's about six weeks of pretty intense schoolwork comprehensive testing, all that stuff. Um, at the end of it, there's two weeks. Once you complete API, there's two more weeks and it's super fun. It's like the, the physiology stuff where the, the flight doc comes and talks to you about what, what's air sickness and what's, uh, uh, you know, being confused about what's going on around your spatial disorientation or, uh, things of that nature. But then there's another week where you learn how to start fires. It's like uh, survival techniques and oh, things. Nice. So if you, if you yeah. have to punch out or, what you find yourself behind enemy lines. Here's kind of some basic survival ideas. It's a super fun two weeks. It's a lot yeah. of like hands-on, almost like science fair was in high school. Yeah. And, uh, and so the stress level goes way down. You finish API and you're like, man, this is so great. Not having to study for a test 12 hours a day. And so before that I had been thinking, you know, I'm a fan of comic strips. I, I grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes and, yeah. you know, long after it had ended with uh, current content, but you know, peanuts, um, I had read that. I'd read Garfield and Dilbert and all the fun comics growing up in the newspapers. And I used to draw them with my uh, grandma. We would get the paper and I would sit down and like trace the Calvin and Hobbes and the the Snoopy and all the other characters. And so I kind of had this love of comic strips. And, you know, I, I think for a while I'd been thinking, oh, I'd like to try that someday. And then all that like rush of relief. I don't know, something psychological. It's like when, when you're very, very stressed with something and then that thing is taken away, you have this like rush of, uh, you know, emotion or, or something. And you're just like, okay, I'm feeling great. I want to do this now. And so <laughs> I didn't know really what I was, what my end goal was. I was just like, one day I posted on, on my, my personal Facebook page saying like, Hey, I've always wanted to do a comic strip. Is that anything that anybody would be interested in supporting me on? And like yeah. within an hour I had, you know, 50 people saying like, do it, do it. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, and so I was like, well, what do I know right now? What's something that I could, you know, the, the guy that created Dilbert is a, is an office worker or, or had been, you know, he was a, you know, he was a manager in a business. And so he, he created what he knew. And so I was thinking, well, maybe I should do something about aviation. There's an audience there. It's a bunch of pilots, you know, a bunch of NFOs, anyone that's ever 
you've been interested in, in aviation, military aviation, there's a community there. Uh, there's an audience. So I was like, well, screw it. I'll try it. And so I did a couple of, a couple of strips that first week. And, you know, when you don't have a following built up, you know, it, 10 likes yeah, you know, represents, yep. <laughs> oh man, people actually really like this. Yeah. Um, and then you later find out it's like, oh, that's a bomb if it was only 10 likes. Um, so yeah, I, I, I ended up just creating it on a whim. I didn't really have an idea for it. Um, and then I just kind of kept going. Every time I posted one, I would get a bunch of new followers. People would share it with their friends. I would start getting more likes, a few more comments. And uh, I just kind of grew from there. Um, I, I can't really say that I had like this business model set up. It's like once I reach this number of strips right, or right. this m- many followers, I'm going to try to monetize it or anything. Um, I did do a, a run of patches. Um, aviation's big on their, their yeah. morale patches. And so <laughs> I did a run of that for flight suits. Um, mm-hmm. I did t-shirt order, did a couple mugs. Um, and then it just kind of has grown from there. I don't, I don't really, and even to this day, five years later, I don't really know what yeah. the next step is. I, I have some things that I, uh, ha- have some goals in mind, something mm-hmm. for this year that, uh, spoiler, I can't really talk about, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll talk um, about it yeah. after we click stop, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, cu- yeah, I'm sure. curious because of where I, I'm at with this is like I did, I've been doing it about five years. Um, and it was kind of the same thing. I recorded the introduction episode, sent it to a bunch of friends to kind of like screen it. Like it, like a, some of my old students when I was an A school instructor and then some chiefs and some other people. And I'm like, am I an idiot or is this a good idea? And same thing. Like everybody's, Oh my God, do it. That's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like, I just been doing it. I don't, I never really considered where it was going to go or like what I was going to do with it long term. And, um, the difference being, I'm probably about to retire because of the health stuff. It's like, I was, I was on the fence about being a So like on submarines, a CMC is like a cob, they call it chief of the boat. Um, that was what was next. And so I was finishing quals for that and basically got told I'm never going to go to sea again by the medical people, which it's like early to make that call because I'm still in treatment. But like, it's probably not like I'm probably done. So now I'm like, well, what could I do with this long term? And yeah, how am I like because I get freed up a lot in what I could potentially do with it if I'm not active duty anymore. So it's like yeah. there's a lot of different directions I could go all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I was the same exact way where I was just like, yeah. didn't even think about it. I was just like, I just wanted to help junior sailors that I identified had problems with leadership development and like that the resource wasn't there. So I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to provide this resource <laughs> and that's it. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know it seems like your life has kind of been upended uh, with what's going on, but think about it from like a lucky perspective. There are a lot of people that get out of the military and they don't have an idea. They don't have yeah. that, that yep. pet project that I started when they were in yep. that, you know, maybe, Man, maybe you don't I, become yeah. a millionaire from it, but maybe it's something that you can it's, focus it's more the, attention on. Yeah. It's the meaning part. Like I talk about, I'm a yeah. big fan of Jocko Willink. He's a retired yep. Navy SEAL commander that does a podcast and writes books and does all yeah, stuff. I've read, I've read some of yep. his books. Yep. <laughs> so he, uh, he talks a lot on his podcast about, when veterans transition out of the military, um, they often struggle because they don't have a mission anymore. Like they don't have that sense of yep. purpose that they had in the military uh, and can't find it in like college or like all the normal things that happen when a veteran transitions, like where they're trying to like find a career and do all this stuff like normal things that normal people do, except they're not normal. So they don't know how to fill that void. Yeah. And so I just I've talked to a bunch of people about that recently where it's just like, I'm, I'm recognizing now with like processing everything that's been happening and the fact that I'm probably done, which 
I was already considering retiring, but I realistically I would have I would have probably stuck around because I have a CMC who's amazing and he constantly presses my hoo button and is like, you're going to be a really good CMC someday. <laughs> like your ceiling's really high. You really need to do this. And it's like when they when I get when somebody presses that button, I sit up straight and ask them which way they need me to go. You know, so it's like, yeah, I would have stuck around, I think. But uh, to my probably to my detriment in other ways, but it like. I would have just kept doing it and kept doing it until the wheels fell off. So it's now that I'm like forced to process all the information and everything. I'm like, I, I recognize how lucky I am to have already kind of found at least if nothing else, even if it's not a viable business, which I kind of, I don't know that just the podcast could be that. Um, but like, I, th- I think I could tr- like transition it into some kind of like leadership development and education thing. I don't know what that's going to look like, but absolutely. Yeah. But and, yeah, and man, it, it's, I'm so lucky to have found it already. Absolutely. That's something that I, that I talk to my sailors about um, and, and my peers as well is, you know, what's, what's your goal? Cause the military is not forever. And, right. you know, even if you go for 20 years or, you know, sometimes on the enlisted side, you pick up warrant, you end up staying 26, 27 years, whatever. But right. you might even get out at four years if, if it's if that's, you know, the satisfaction that you needed was joining, doing a tour and then leaving. That's fine, too. What's what's next? You know, what yeah. what are what's your end goal for post-military life? And a lot of people kind of like when they go to college and they don't know what they're doing, they end up wasting a bunch of money. What do you want to do after have a plan you don't have to have every detail hammered out but at least have an idea of what what's step two okay military was step one what's step two and uh it's it's awesome that that you have this uh you know in in uh, you know i found your podcast from when you had megan on a couple of weeks ago for scuttlebutt right and uh she's a a friend and a peer of mine that uh you know we kind of started our comic strips at around the same time and so i've talked to her and i you know she's mentored me and i've mentored her and you know it's what it's awesome and one of your other recent episodes was uh i can't remember his name that's bad on me but that had the diving uh clothing line oh yep you know yep, that's another fathoms. Yeah, there Tommy. you go yeah tommy's a good um, dude he and his was that like the business side of it that was really i mean we talked for almost two hours after I could right. stop recording, which that, I almost it, wish I would have left it running, but yeah, it's enlightening. I learned a lot from him. It's incredible. You know, I listened yeah. to that and I was like, that is, I know that he had kind of an unceremonious end to his, yeah. to his time. And I know I listened to that episode and I, I could hear the emotion when he thinks back yeah. about joining and what you were talking about of not having that, that uh, satisfying closure or, uh, you know, needing that structure in your life that the military provides. Well, Everybody kind of experiences that, but I'm impressed with how much he had this game plan. Like he yeah. had kind of started it while he was in, and then he just really he didn't he didn't just sit and 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 sob about you know right. well I don't have the military anymore. He was like, well, okay, I don't have the military anymore, so now I can yeah. focus more time on what I what I want to do. And and now he's got you know modeling shows with runways yeah. coming up, and I'm like, and he's that's just pumped about it. Which I know, is, and like, I'm like, so cool. That's so yeah. that's so that's rewarding. You know, and yeah. it, it doesn't matter what your rank is. As an officer, I look at people that I, you know, I want people to enjoy their time in the Navy. But if the Navy isn't for them, I don't, I don't ever look down on somebody that has the bravery and the courage to say, I've done my time. I don't need to be an admiral. I don't need to be a master chief. I've done my time. And I'm ready to get out there and see what step two is. Yeah. And uh, I love whenever people have ideas and ambitions. So it, that was a really satisfying episode to listen to. 
Nice. I, I'm glad. Like I, I was, I, I enjoyed talking to him quite a bit for that exact reason. And it was like, yeah. I definitely like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of arriving to that place where I'm okay with it. Cause like, I was very much like, I didn't feel like I'd finished yet. I was like, I, I need to make master chief. I need to be a CMC. Like that's what I, that's the finish line for me. Like I, I don't right. have any delusions of grandeur that I'm going to be the Mick pond or anything, but like, I just felt like I hadn't, I hadn't done it yet. And especially with like the leadership development focus that like that, I, I want to do this for a really long time. I really, I'm really passionate about it. And so like, I was, I felt like I needed to do that almost as even just like a resume builder. Like I was like, I feel like to be taken seriously in this space and approach it the way that I want to, I need to be able to say I'm a retired command master chief. And it's like, the more people I talk to the more I realize that I don't like, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> like I, uh, I did that um, episode and have built a friendship with Paul Kingsbury, who's a retired fleet master chief. And I mean, he's a peer to me now, and it, which is weird to say out loud, but it's just like, and I, I definitely go to him and ask him questions. And I, I look at, I, I look up to a guy like that, obviously, but it's also just like, he comes to me cause he's starting a podcast uh, and, and he's like asking me questions and looking to me for help. So it's just kind of like a, interesting progression uh mentally where it's just like i i'm and and these guys are also telling me that too where it's just like no you don't need to be that to to be what you are like you're already successful at what you're doing like people already look to you as a resource you're already taken seriously like what do you why why do you need to do that like <laughs> it's right. not it's not a requirement which I, I in my head i felt like it was but it's like I'm, it's i'm getting to a place where I feel like I, it's I could retire tomorrow and, and continue doing what I'm doing and accomplish everything I want to accomplish. But having those goals is so important because if yeah. you if you don't have the goals, you know, the old saying, like, shoot for the stars. Yeah. Um, if you don't make it, then at least you're you're up there. You're among the stars. And yeah. and if you you know, I, when I started, I was like, you know, Admiral Morris, that sounds like a really cool it <laughs> sounds like a really cool business card. Right. It's right. not going to happen. I, I don't know yeah. that I, you know, things change in six years. I've kind of decided that, uh, that some days I want to pursue my 20. Um, I want to get out. And by that point, if I'm lucky enough to get there, cause it's not a guarantee. Yeah. If I'm lucky enough to get there, you know, I'm probably, you know, Lieutenant commander, commander, maybe, maybe captain, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, certain things falling. But, um, that's still, a, that's still a great career. And, yeah. you know, even, yeah, even if you don't accomplish anything extraordinary or life changing or, or Navy changing during your time, you don't, you left the Navy better than yeah. how it was when you got there because you had some input into it. And that, that alone is satisfying to me. Now, do I, do I have big ambitions and big goals for my own personal career? Of course, I think we all do. And, and you've mentioned yours, but um, being, being satisfied that, that your 20 years or your 15 years or your 10 years or heck, even your four years is enough to feel like you've made a difference. That's all that matters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely like have have kind of detached the like tangible career milestone progression piece that people like associate with progress or with success or whatever from like the. And, and this this doing this has helped with that is like the the feedback that I get from listeners on like, oh, thanks so much. That was amazing. It helped me so much, blah, 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 or whatever it is. Um, it's like I'm getting that. And I don't like I don't I mean, people know I'm a senior chief, but 
it's like the rank is kind of irrelevant. My name's not on it. My face isn't on it. My like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like they kind of know it's important that I've had the career because it, it establishes like a, a background and an expertise and the experience piece. But it's like, like, I don't need to be a command master chief. I don't need to be the MCPON. I don't need to be a retired fleet master chief. I don't need to be any of those things to be able to do what I'm doing and get like what really matters, which is like I'm helping people. And, and it's right. like it, it's amazing and it's borderline addicting. Like, where it's like <laughs> I really enjoy the feedback piece. Um, but it's good. that dream, that dream of wanting to be a command master chief yeah. when you were a younger sailor yep. that yep. got you to where you are now. Because even though now you're like, you know, I don't think I need that to be satisfied with my right. career in the Navy. At one point you did. At one point that yeah, was your driving force. For and, sure. that's what, and if you didn't have that, then you might've gotten out at eight years and been like, you know, that was enough for me, but yeah. then you wouldn't, then, you know, as butterfly effect and you wouldn't have come here and you wouldn't have started the podcast. And yeah, and yep. now you're, you're realizing <laughs> that the satisfaction is coming from helping people instead of yeah. shooting for this, uh, you know, potentially unattainable even goal. That, yeah, you know, and that's every, everybody wants to be a commanding officer, but right. you know, there's only X number of commanding officers in the Navy, so yep. not everyone gets to do it. And that's what's weird about it too is like the the decision making process. Like I was I was removed from it, so it's like it's not. I have a bunch of really intelligent people whose judgment I trust, telling me that I could have done it and I would have been successful at it, and life had a different plan. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I didn't, I don't get a vote here. So it's kind of like, it is what it is. Like, and, and so the, the progression, it, it's just like, I'm taking a, a different path, but it's like, I'm still going to continue progressing in, the, in a similar direction. So it's kind of like, it, it, whatever, man, like, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm going to continue to grow and continue to get experience and continue to help people in a similar manner. And arguably more of them on a larger scale because of how the reach works with stuff like like a podcast, but, um, but yeah, man, it's, it's definitely something that it took me a hot minute to get over. (laughs) Like, I don't even know that I'm all the way there yet, but. Well, I think it's uh, interesting you say that you don't have a vote and I I get where that's coming from, but the, the positive outlook is the vote that you can cast, uh, or the negative outlook, you know, your, your vote is in the, in the reality of, well, how do I respond to this? For sure. And uh, there, there are certain things that you don't get a vote on, but then there are other things that you get to say, I'm deciding to react this way. And I'm deciding to continue to have a positive outlook on what my podcast or my comic strip is doing for people that are sure. bigger than that, bigger than me. Um, and so certainly life happens, but um, I think you've got the right outlook is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I feel like I feel like I'm getting there. Like I definitely I think logically like I I understand what the what the positive outlook is. And there's definitely moments where I'm like in the dumps a little bit. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, I think like absolutely. I don't think I've arrived yet, but like I'm, I'm getting there. I'm trending in the right direction. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a little uh, a little snippet, not really a sea story because it happened this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That uh, I was, uh, I've been tasked with working on what we call the change of command video. Um, it's okay. kind of a, a, a tradition for junior officers to make a video for their skipper before he departs. And a lot of times, it's just a silly video that's yeah. you know based in like, oh, we'll we'll mimic an office episode or we'll we'll mimic you know something. And uh, I can say this now because by the time this podcast is published, I'm sure it will be past the the change of command, so he won't yeah. know. This is not revealing anything, but. Um, so we're making this video for him and 
you know, this is an interesting time that we're in with COVID-19 and everything is kind of upended and Mm -hmm. nothing is like you thought it was going to be. And we've had, you know, a a great commanding officer, one that everyone in my squadron should, if they don't want to be like, he's been awesome. He's been a fun, he's been uh, a hilarious person, but he's also been just a great leader and a great inspirer of sailors. Well, anyway, he, admitted to me this morning because, you know, we were talking, we're going through change of command stuff. And he was talking to me about how the the hardest thing for him in all this process is not that he's not getting a ceremony. It's not about that. It's that the ceremony represented closure. And he feels that it's not, it wasn't about a day for him to, you know, get patted on the back or anything. It was a day that signified the changing of the guard. And once I get to my ceremony, once I get to this change of command process and I've, you know, grabbed the flag with the exos taken over as skipper and all that, then I will know that, hey, my time here has come to a conclusion. And with COVID-19, we no longer get that. We don't yeah. get the change of command ceremony. We don't get the bringing everyone's family there. We don't get bringing all the mentors that we had back to experience this iconic moment for someone in their life. And he said that he's, you know, it's, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle to come to that conclusion of, Hey, I'm not going to get this sense of closure in the traditional sense. I'm going to have to find it and fill it with something else. And, uh, and so that's why he's trying to sit down and meet with every single person in the command in some capacity, even if it's just to talk to him for 10 seconds, uh, to where he feels like, okay, now I'm starting to feel like I've got that closure. Um, and so, yeah, again, things, things, wrenches get thrown in and, and you don't always get a vote on what happens, but, uh, you know, it's how you, how you respond to that adversity that I think it tells the most about your character. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Enough Go, about no, this huge <laughs> tangent. We went on. Uh, so back to the landing strip, we'll, we'll bring yeah, some yeah. levity to the situation. Um, yeah. So, uh, hitting five years this year, uh, got some projects in the works that, okay. uh, you know, I'll talk more about, you know, later in the year as, as we get closer to deadlines, some, some things I'm excited about. Um, but ultimately I still, you know, I still don't know what my end goal is with this. I don't think that I'm trying to turn into a millionaire by drawing doodles. You know, I'm not trying to, (laughs) I, I think my, my initial goal or mission statement was I just want people to enjoy being an aviator, you know, being a junior officer and the flight school is stressful. As I mentioned, it's, it's not for, everyone, a lot of people find out very quickly, Oh, this is not what I thought. And I want to find something else to do, or I want to get out. Yeah. Uh, so it is a, it's just like any major schooling, like power school for submariners. Uh, you know, it is a, a stressful time and I started it during that stressful time. And so for me, it always will represent trying to find some levity and some humor in this time when we all just kind of feel like defeated, you know, yeah. you, you show up, yep rearing to go, you have your pre-flight brief, you think you know everything about the system and you show up and then the instructor just crushes you for 45 minutes on this thing that you thought you knew. And you're like, well, shoot, I guess I didn't know anything about that. And now my tail's between my legs. Well, there's a lot of days like that in flight school, but you, you get through it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think that my intention whenever I started the comic was I want to aid in people having something to look forward to for, for the first almost two years, I didn't miss a Friday. It was every single Friday through hell or high water. I was posting yeah. a strip and then, you know, and you know, life or the fleet or yeah, whatever you want to yeah, call it gets work. in the way. And you're like, <laughs> ah, shoot, I can't keep up that deadline. And so now 
you know, shoot, I guess now I'm lucky if I get one every other week. Um, but I still try to do as much new content as I can. Over the course of five years, I think I'm up to almost 160 strips, okay. which, you know, sounds like a lot. Everybody's always like, dang, I can't believe you did that much work. But, you know, I, I was doing 50 strips a year for the first two years. And right. so you can you can tell that that's dr- drastically <sighs> off, slowed yeah. down in the last three. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, I'm going to keep it going for as long as I am an aviator. And for as long as I have content, I have a little joke bank that I've kind of scribbled jokes in throughout the years that at the time I knew what I was talking about. And then I look at it now and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? (laughs) Like, I don't even, it was like scribbled. I was like, what is even the the punchline in this? I can't remember. Um, But then I've got others that I have plans for, you know, little story arcs or whatever Mm. that, uh, that I'll try to get to. But um, as long as I have content, as long as I feel like I have readership, that I'm going to keep trying to provide something to my readers and, and to myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and just be all like noble and say, Oh, I always did it for everyone else. Right. I, I started off doing that, but for, for me, I was somebody that struggled mightily in flight school and, and especially from the, the emotional and mental side of it, where you show up, like I said, and you feel like, you know, something, and then you get immediately pushed to the ground. Yep. And, and said, like, you don't know anything that you thought you knew. And so uh, for me, I would go home with my tail tucked between my legs a lot in flight school. And so I did the strip as much for myself as I did for anyone else. Um, right. And and I'm sure it's similar for you. You you had this idea yeah. and you ran with it. And at first it was like, I'm doing this for me. And then it kind of grew into something. It's like, oh, I got people that are actually listening to this yeah. that are getting something, they're giving me feedback saying I'm getting something out of this. Yeah, I think it was probably the opposite. Like I was, I thought I was doing this noble thing to like, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm just going to do this for all these junior sailors and provide them this resource because it doesn't exist. And that's because that's what chiefs do, blah, blah, blah. And like, but then it it turned into this thing based on that feedback from the listeners that it was just like, I became like, I talk about a lot. I call it like, it's like a selfish endeavor where it's like, I do it because of the satisfaction I get from that feedback. So it's like this cycle where it's like, yeah, I I understand that it can be viewed as this like selfless thing or whatever, but I'm telling you, like (laughs) I keep coming back because it's, it's so, so gratifying to, to have anyone just say that they got something out of it, even if it's like something little, but some of the feedback I get just melts my brain and a lot of it, which initially my fear was that chiefs would have an issue with me doing what I'm doing, but it's been the polar opposite where the most passionate support that I've gotten has been from chiefs going, Oh my God, this is amazing. What can I do to help? How can I be involved? And it's just like, <laughs> it's super, super gratifying and like yeah. keeps me coming back. It's it's like why I do it at this point Yeah, um, is, is knowing that it's such a resource for them, but then just being able to, to feel like that. I mean, that kind of, that kind of job satisfaction is hard to come by. So I just, yeah, that's what keeps me coming back. I totally feel that, especially now when I'm not doing the strip with as much regularity as I was during the first couple of years, you know, I, I'll go sometimes. I mean, heck there, there were times when I would go almost a month without new content. I would just yeah. repost old strips. Don't have time this week. Sorry guys. And then post yeah. an old strip. And, uh, now I find myself, if I've gone two or three weeks without doing one and I do a new one, it kind of like gives me a renewed sense of, of excitement. Um, yeah, that, yeah. you know, it's something, it's like fulfilling that side of me. Like when you're a creative and you know this, 
when you're a creative minded person, you use this, you know, right half, right hemisphere of your brain that, you know, is often not required in the military, you know, as, <laughs> as we all have experienced, yeah. uh, anytime that you get to flex that part of your brain and that creativity, it's just so gratifying and satisfying, uh, to, to be able to kind of feel like, Oh, I'm in my wheelhouse here. Yeah. Um, it's like with this, this video that I was talking about, I've never made a video before in my life. Not, yeah. <laughs> like, well, at least since like high school history class projects, but you know, I've never done, I'm not a filmmaker by any stretch, but it's something creative that I've been able to like, you know, press my buttons in my brain on that. Yeah. It's, that it's very fun and rewarding to do something new and, uh, and for people to kind of rely on you because, you know, for me pretty much everywhere I've gone, I've been like the squadron creative guy, you know, because of my okay. background and because of the comic strip, like, you know, I'm not a celebrity by any means, but people have, who have followed the strip will know, Oh, the landing strip guy just checked in so he can do patches for us. Or he, you know, our, oh, our commanding yeah, yeah. officer that's just getting ready to leave. He, uh, he had me paint a couple murals on the wall. Cause he knew that's like in my aptitude. That's cool. So yeah. anytime that you get to, you know, use that side of the brain, it's so, it's so worth it. And it's so helpful. I think to keep you grounded in the rest of the, the non creative parts of this job. Has it ever been weird for you being known as the landing strip guy? Because I purposely leave my name off the platform, not because like I'm not worried about it. And anybody with fleet temps access and an attention span <laughs> greater than a gnat could listen, pay attention and figure out who I am really quickly. A couple people have done it and yeah. messaged me and <laughs> like told me, but it, it's it, I initially it was just I, I thought to myself, one, I don't like being the center of attention. So I didn't like, I don't want a fan club. That's not why I'm doing it. I, so what does my name need to be on it for anyway? And then yeah. they can contact me through the platform and the email addresses and whatever. You know, then, I've gone. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was The other reason was I based on I, the understanding I have of the junior enlisted perspective. It was like, if there's even if I leave the door cracked for them to be able to say, I'm doing this for any other reason than to help them out, they're not going to be as receptive. So it's like, if they can point at this and say, it's a look at me project that I'm doing for an eval bullet, I'm going to have a way harder time accomplishing what I'm trying to accomplish. So I was just like, again, like, what does my name need to be on it for? It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's not, that's not why I'm doing it. Um, so I, that's, it's kind of, that's why I did it. So it's, but I also, it's evolved into this like understanding, I think where, if I was walking down the pier and people are like, Oh, it's the Degas podcast guy. Like, I feel like that could get really weird or awkward for other chiefs for leadership at the command or whatever, where like if sailors are looking at me as the, as the Degas guy, instead of just senior on the ship, like a normal senior chief, that that could get kind of weird. Have you ever, have you experienced anything like that? Or is it just like, it's just a thing that people know you do and it's not a big deal. Uh, it's a little bit of both. And I, I definitely know what you're talking about. And I've gone okay. through, if you, if you were to look through my entire, you know, uh, body of work, there are times when I've taken my name off the strip. Uh, okay. like in the, in the middle, I, I started to erase my signature and I, and I didn't refer to myself by name and then I would go back to it. And it, it's kind of a balance of, of, uh, it's not that I'm seeking out attention by any means. It's, more or less that people are going to know or have an idea who I am. Just the, the people that I was immediately in the squadron with at the time that I started would know who it is yeah. that was creating it. And then they would talk and the the career of, of aviation, particularly in flight school is so focused. There's such a, a finite 
group of people that you're going through flight school with at the time that all you had to do, like you said, anybody with fleet temps access, all you had to do was just look at the jokes that were being made and you could kind of decide, oh, he's in primary flight school. Yeah. He's wearing yeah. <laughs> the patch of this squadron. Cause I, you know, I was young. I didn't know anybody. I, I wasn't, yeah. I didn't have enough foresight to say like, I should create a fake squadron and <laughs> not do any yeah. like real patches, but I wasn't, you know, bright enough in terms of what my goals were at the time to know, uh, oh yeah, he, you can tell he was in VT3 at Whiting Field in flight school. You know, it's like <laughs> they could they, just process of elimination. They could kind of get down to, it, it was a pretty good idea of who it was. So then I thought, well, I guess if that's the point, I, I don't really have any reason why I can't put my name on it. Um, but that definitely has led to, I've, I, I've experienced some sort of like bizarro, like, I uh, kind of feel like a celebrity at times. Like people have yeah. come up to me in food courts on base and been like, oh my God, you're the landing strip guy. Or people have messaged me or, or, or I've responded to a comment on my own post and somebody was like, oh my God, I didn't think you'd ever respond. I'm like, who do you think I am? Yeah. I'm literally yeah. a flight student <laughs> like you guys. Like I am not yeah. like, uh, you know, it, I guess people right now, like the the crowning military comic is probably Terminal Lance. And yeah. everyone kind of knows who that is. And they, and okay. most people, if, you, if you're not just a, a passing reader of the strip, most people know, that, oh, that's done by Max. And he's been out of the Marines for a while now. And he kind of is a celebrity. Like he's met some serious people. He posted okay. a strip the other day that he had met Arnold Schwarzenegger and they were doing the little Terminal Lance like like uh, hand oh, post nice. thing. <laughs> and the, the, it's kind of like his, uh, his calling card for, uh, for selfies and stuff. Yeah. He's a super cool guy. Uh, like Max is awesome. He is the the crowning example of like taking something that you're good at and passionate about and turning it into a legitimate career. Yeah. Well, anyway, everyone kind of knows like he is a little bit of a celebrity. Okay. The landing strip ain't that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it is I have like 7,000 people that follow it, which is sounds like a lot, but it is not. And I just do it for my little community. If I yeah. was doing something like like Megan's comic is wonderful because it, it speaks to, she is so good at reaching everyone in the Navy. You know, yeah. she will, she'll do aviation jokes and she'll do submarine jokes and she'll it's do big so hilarious jokes. that you say that. Cause when we talked, she was really like, she's, she's very unsure of herself and like, doesn't think those jokes hit because she doesn't have that experience, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just oh. like, I don't think you understand how good you are at this. Like, right. No, and, she, she, she yeah. is much better. Oh, I've man. talked to her many times about how she struggles with the, you know, the thinking that her strips are funny enough or yeah. hitting the right yep. audience. Like, and I think, you know, in her defense, there's a, there's an element of that with everyone. You're like, right. well, sure. I know helicopters very well. So if I make a jet joke, I'm going to sound like an idiot, um, which I do have some jet friends that I reference. I did a jet joke, I think the last strip or two strips ago or something um, and I was like, I don't know what jet pilots say when they launch a missile. So let me just uh, Facebook message my buddy yeah, who's, a jet, like a, who's right. a jet guy and say like, and that, what, what's the calm whenever you like launch a missile? And, and he told I, me and yeah. I still gooned it up. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> such a helicopter pilot. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And that's exactly what I told her, too, is she said something about uh, like a sub like use submarine joke as an example, because we were talking and, and I was just like, if you don't know if the joke's going to hit, just send it to me and I'll tell you yep. like and I'll fix it for you. Like, I'm yep. like, come on, you got to you got to have these resources by now with the following that you have. Yeah. So it's like, just reach out. 
I have, and I have done that so many times. If if I'm trying to yeah. make a P8 joke or, or a flight school joke for people that didn't select helicopters, well, heck, I don't know anything about their flight school because I yeah. have, I am an, I won't say an expert, um, but I am a, I have a pretty good idea of what my pipeline, my path looked like. And so that's the, that's the wheelhouse. I feel very comfortable whenever I'm making general aviation jokes or helicopter specific jokes. But when you get specific into other communities, that's where I feel no shame in outsourcing questions. I will reach out to people and be like, Hey, what, a what is funny about P8s? Yeah. Hit me. Yeah. Cause I have yeah. not given you guys like any love in the last yeah. year. I want to, I want to do something for your community because it's the most rewarding thing in this career so far. Cause I'm not trying to monetize it yet. Um, but the most rewarding thing in this career is every so often I'll get a message and it's like a picture of my strip that's been printed out and it's like hanging in the wardroom or it's hanging in the briefing yep. space. Cause they're yep. like, Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> I made a, a joke. Um, as a sub guy, you, do, are you familiar with FOD walkdowns? Yeah. I, I generally, yeah. Like the, on yeah, the flight it's deck, definitely debris, more of like blah, a big blah, blah. deck or yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're basically everyone on the ship gets out there and they just walk the flight deck and they try to find little screws or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I made a, a FOD joke, um, probably about a year and a half ago or so. And I really liked it and it was fun. And, uh, people were messaging me left and right saying like, Oh, we printed this out and we're hanging it in our quality assurance office. Cause it's hilarious. Cause we're like the FOD managers and all that. And yeah. I was like, that is why I do this trip. Yes. That is why I do this project <laughs> because it is not paying any bills for me. It yeah. is pure satisfaction. Whenever That's I see cool. people love it enough that yep. they're like, I, I want to hang it up with the memes that I have hanging by my desk <laughs> or something. Yeah, man. So, it's the exact same thing for me is like the, I'll get, like I had a guy message me this morning about getting his hands on one of the outlines for an episode that, and it's an old one because he's about to use it to train his shop. Like he's going to use it He's using the podcast for leadership development training, which is like exactly what I was hoping would happen. And I was like, I get pumped when I hear about that. And I got a lot of chiefs that have gotten a hold of me in the past and they use a bunch of the episodes to create like a Sailor 360 training program. And they just, it, it, it frees them up too, because I already created the content and it's just like they, Hey, listen to this. And then we're going to get together and talk about it. And the sailors get really excited about it. Uh, for, and like for whatever reason, like I don't, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but they listen to it, and it's like I guess I have a different perspective, or the way I communicate it, like just works better for them. So they listen to it, and they're like, like have all these things to talk about, and they get really like robust discussions going. And I'm like, just yes, like that's the, yeah. that is exactly what I wanted to happen, and it like yes. I get so excited when I get those messages. Absolutely, I yeah. there are better comic strips out there than mine. There are worse. I'm somewhere in the middle, but what I do it for, I'm not trying to win any awards. I'm not trying to be a millionaire. Like I've said, I get satisfaction. I don't know what the end goal is. I don't know what, what the last strip is going to look like. I haven't mapped it out. Um, hopefully it's not for years that I get to that point, but someday that point will happen. I'll stop doing this project. I'll move on to something else. Um, I, I would love to do a graphic novel someday. Um, whether it's landing strip, universe or something yeah. totally, totally different. Yep. Um, but at some point, the landing strip is going to end. Everything ends. Yeah. Uh, D guts is going to end at some point. Yep. Um, you're going to realize, okay, well, I've done everything I wanted to do with this. And now I've got bigger goals that I want to get to. Right. Every, that's just so natural with everyone. Yeah. Everyone, if you own a business, something's going to evolve and you're going to move past what your initial goal was. And so 
that's going to happen. I, I don't know what I don't have my little end game in mind of like, oh, it was all a dream this entire time. He was never a flight <laughs> student. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's never it's not that. I promise that's a that's a cop out. <laughs> but uh, it, it'll be something and I will try my best to serve the people that read it with a satisfying closure. But that's not for a long time. And uh, yeah. And for now, I'm just enjoying the ride. Nice. Nice. So. Let's shift uh, focus just a little bit. Uh, I want to I want to get to the because I like I, we talked about before we started recording, like I I've been struggling to get the officer perspective for some of the leadership development topics that we've <laughs> talked about. Right. So, like, yeah. I'm curious first, just for context for everyone else, because like I, I'm not familiar with how the aviation community works at all. So just like how for, we'll start with just the like, what's the leadership structure in a squadron, like a helicopter squadron, for for instance, as far as far as like what is your function in it? Uh, what is the chief's function in it? How does that officer to chief relationship work? And then kind of how does the how does the chief to junior sailor relationship work from your perspective? Yeah. Uh, OK, so, yeah, helicopter squadron like I'm in, it's about 300 people total. Uh, we've got two commanders, O fives. That's going to be the skipper and the XO. And then uh, we have one master chief that's going to be the CMC. And then we have a whole bunch of people below those ranks. So we have um, probably about six, seven or eight, maybe lieutenant commanders that are going to be the department heads. We've also got a couple of warrant officers that act in department head roles. Mm -hmm. And then we have about 25 junior officers, I think, including, um, and I'll talk about the distinction between this, but we have air ground officers or air officers and ground officers. And air officers are going to be like myself, pilots. And then we have ground officers that are like maintainer pilots that kind of came up through the rank of of enlisted that decided to become officers. Um, and so they, they are officers in the maintenance realm. And then uh, the warrant officers are, they could be from anything. We have our, our admin officer is a chief warrant for mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, rose up through the YN ranks. Um, and then we have, oh, I don't know the exact number. I would say probably probably about 20 or so chiefs in the mess, uh, a couple of senior chiefs. And then again, the one master chief, and then just a bevy of, uh, E six and below. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's, it's a little different. We talked about this prior to, to recording, but I, I won't try to speak for any other community, but for my own, it's fascinating as an aviation officer that when you get to your first time as a division officer, you really have no idea what the people in in your division do. You know, if you're if you're on a big deck or you're on a submarine, you show up and you know it's like maybe you don't know what being the commo means, but you're at least kind of doing a similar job as the people on your staff. Yeah. For us, I fly helicopters. I don't know anything about fixing an engine. <laughs> I kind of I kind of have the the baseline idea of like, oh, well, I know how an engine works. But if you needed somebody to fix the engine, you're not talking to me. And you're talking to, you know, I, I'm sitting here as an O3 and I'm completely trusting an E4 that fixed the engine because he or she is going to know a heck of a lot more than I do. And so being a division officer, when you don't turn the wrenches or you don't do what the people in your division do, it could be a challenge, uh, connecting. Uh, there's definitely, there's definitely some bias that I've experienced. I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. I, I have noticed that that uh, if you wear type threes and you are dealing with somebody that wears a flight suit, there is going to be some bias there. Yeah. There's going to be some, some division 
it's not at all what you want, but it's the reality, you know, cause yeah. how, how should I, I I'm not going to pretend to expect everybody in my division to respect my ability to fix an engine, for example, because yeah. they know that I don't know anything about that. But at the same time, I need them to understand that I know how to fly the helicopter and that is my focus and that I don't lead them to fly helicopters. I lead them to be strong sailors. I, I show up, I, I try to put myself there as a positive example. The best that I can do, I'm not charging into battle like Leonidas with them or like an infantry Marine that does the same job as the people that he's leading. My job is to give them a good example of what a leader looks like. It doesn't matter that I don't do the same job as what the the new airman that just checked in or the the LPO that, you know, fixes navigation equipment or or repairs engines or, you know, puts the skin on the aircraft, all that stuff. Like I I don't expect us to talk about our jobs and know what the other one's talking about. Yeah. But what our relationship can be is I'm providing you the best work that I can do to make you have the easiest time in the shop that you can have. Because I, my, my role and everybody's different. I, you know, every chief is not the same and every junior officer is not the same. My preferred method is servant leadership. I'm going to show up and I am going to show them that maybe I don't know what your job is specifically or or the, the nuances of your job, but I'm interested in what you do and I'm interested in learning more and I'm interested in, in showcasing what somebody that you can give your confidence to because I want to do everything I can. Maybe it's signing a chit. Maybe that's my task for the day. Yeah. You know, this sailor needs something done and the best thing that I can do is just process the chit and move it up the chain. Well, then I'm going to do the best job that I can at that because I want them to see what uh, a good leader looks like in that capacity. Yeah, there's a lot of value Um, to simple tasks like that for juniors because like you, it sounds like it's just like a menial, like administrative task. But to a E4 that hasn't seen their mom in three years and already has a plane ticket because somebody told them it was cool to buy, it's like a huge deal. Like it's probably at the forefront of their mind all day. Like, ah, when's LT going to sign my check? Like I need to make sure that gets approved, like freaking out about it. And it Um, is so 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 easy as a junior officer to to get so sucked into things that really are kind of what you're more focused on, which are in our case, flying the helicopter or mission planning for a flight. It's so easy for us to like lose sight of how important this shit is for somebody to get out of the barracks or for them to process leave because they need to go home and see their, their grandparent or their, you know, whatever. Um, It's so easy for you to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. But for them, yeah, that's their yep. whole day is like, yep. I need LT to sign this. And yep. so I'm going like, it, it's, it's a great experience to learn how to do that. And and speaking of chits, I had an experience the other day with uh, my division chief that I know a chit seems like a small task, but I missed some grammar errors on, um, or it wasn't, it wasn't a chit, it was an eval. And I had missed some grammar errors and I passed it up the chain and they brought it back to me and I felt. Like that was the most embarrassing thing that has happened to me in a long time. Yeah. And it's so humbling that when you, when you're doing a job like we do, where I am not an expert in the field of the sailors that I'm leading for me to goon up such a simple administrative task. I just felt like 
a box of armpits, you know, <laughs> like I, I felt lower than the low. Like I felt like I was yeah. back in flight school, like just feeling like an idiot. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a good learning experience. I, I had a little talking to from my chief and, uh, we got it, we got it ironed out, but it yeah. was still something that, you know, every day is a learning opportunity. Yeah. And those are the ones that like, you're only going to do that once, especially if you, if you, take it as seriously oh, as you yeah. do so that it hits you that hard when it does happen. You're only doing that once. And so that's a valuable learning <laughs> yeah. experience yeah. and your chief yeah. knows that. So yeah, that's good. What is the, um, and you talked a little bit about it earlier, but like, what is the role of the chief as far as like, like, because you guys, especially because you guys are in the kind of the weird place you are as division officers with where you have a very specific job that you're trained to do. And it, isn't the same thing really as what your junior enlisted do. So how is like the chief involved in training you in that division officer role? And like, how do you, how do you guys, what's a normal interaction look like for you guys? I'm very glad that you asked because I have found that once you look past the, I'm a pilot and you are a maintenance chief. Mm -hmm. Once you look past that, these are what our training backgrounds are in. And you, I'm just a lieutenant and you're just a chief or you're just a senior chief and I'm just a lieutenant. Once you get past what our experiences are, our experience levels are, mm -hmm. then we can sit and talk like, this is what I need to do to get better. And this is what I as a lieutenant need from the chief to feel like that I am confident that my division is running smoothly. And I'll tell you, not every chief is uh, again, not every chief is equal and not every junior officer is equal. And there can be some egos that, that butt heads. What I did the first time that I became a division officer and what, what I feel like worked for me, maybe it's not for everyone is that I just admitted to the chief. I am learning much more from you than you are going to learn from me. And I need, this is an experience for me as a division officer to lead with training wheels and you are going to be the training wheels. Yep. And I am not <laughs> egotistical enough to, uh, to fail to admit that, uh, yeah. what I need is for you to give me tough love when I need it, like what happened the other day. And, and I need you to hold me to a high standard and I am not sitting here as somebody that maybe I outrank you, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, uh, you know, fall back on well at the end of the day i know best because i'm a lieutenant and you're just a chief yeah. that is absolutely the wrong way to go if yeah. you ask me I, yeah um, I agree. <laughs> because i think in my opinion and uh this is I, I know my audience i know i'm talking to a chief in my experience i think the chief's mess is i think the glue of at least a squadron i think they're the glue because they are they're training the sailors below them well, I guess they're training the LPOs to then yeah. empower the sailors below them, but they're mentoring the officers that are just above them. And so they are affecting the largest network of people. Yeah. The chiefs don't deal a whole lot with the, with the department heads. It's more or less that, that immediate uh, direction. Uh, so immediately up from the mess is going to be the, the little JOs and immediately down from the mess is going to be the LPOs. And it doesn't matter what the experience level is in those places. The chief is there to train or mentor. And if you as a junior officer can take off the I'm an officer hat and just look at that, there's so much potential for what you can get out of a mentorship from a chief. And it's hard to it's hard to take that hat off sometimes. I'm yeah. here to tell you. And I know that that's what the perception is. 
as junior officers. I am fully aware of that. And that's why I do my best to go in there and say, give it to me straight. Give me tough love. I need to be better because at some point, if I'm lucky enough, I might be the officer in charge of a division or, or a detachment or something. Maybe. I don't know what my future holds. We already talked about that. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. If I'm a DH someday or I'm, you know, as luck would have it, maybe a commanding officer someday, who knows the, the experience that I had as a division officer with a, with a chief that was willing to, to train me kind of behind the scenes without, you know, berating me in public or me berating them in public. Like we talk behind closed doors and say, this is what you sucked at LT. And I can say, well, well, chief, this is what I need more of. If you can have that relationship and it not become like a gloves off slugfest. Yeah. You gain so much out of it. Yeah. And I think <laughs> and I think from the other perspective, I think a, a chief can be reinvigorated by a JO that is interested in getting better. For sure. Because by the time you get to the to the chief's mess and please correct me if I'm wrong, but by the time you get there, it's you have just kind of climbed the ranks for so many years and by the time you get to chief, senior chief, it's year what? 15, 16, 17, something like that. So- it depends. Yeah. I, generally, senior chiefs will be in that range, but it really depends on the career field and the sailor's career progression and how, how it works. Because like I was a nine and a half year chief I, and then I put on senior chief in, at 15 and it okay. was just quota driven. Like I, I if I was a surface sailor, I'd probably be a mass chief at 16 years. Like just if my career arc had happened similarly, Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's more jobs, there's more there's more quotas available and stuff like that. But um, it it depends. And and what I'll say too is like it it the that relationship and that interaction is just as valuable for a chief, especially at the junior officer level. So like at the divo level, we're talking about uh, the chief, the division chief usually on their first chief's tour, sometimes their second, which it, you're less worried about them learning how to train a junior officer because they've probably done this before. But um, a lot of times you have a pretty fresh chief that is learning how to train a junior officer as it's happening, right? And which I, I think is lost on a lot of people. And I think that's also why sometimes the relationship sours is because they, they're learning too. They do have much more experience. They do... Uh, they draw on that experience to, to do that training, but it's like kind of the first time they've probably been in the role where it's their responsibility to, to mentor that junior officer in the way that they do. And so it's, it's interesting because it's, it's one of the most important things that we do because your future commanding officers probably create the foundation for trusting chiefs during that interaction. Right. So as, as they progress through their careers, I've met a lot of department heads and XOs and CEOs that don't trust chiefs because of, the bad chief they had when they were in Ensign getting trained to be a, a divo. And so they just decided they didn't trust chiefs at that point. And unfortunately it wasn't corrected through a positive interaction with a chief or senior chief or mass chief. So. Right. It, and and if yeah. you're, if you're a bad officer or if you put your, your worst foot forward or you're lazy or incompetent, not mm-hmm. trying to get better, not everybody's perfect. And as a jail, right. you've got a lot to learn. Um, but, but if you're not willing to learn and if you're not willing to, to be the best version of yourself that day and get 1% better the next day, then it's just the, the same effect is the opposite. You know, the, the chief is then going to say like, well, I have zero confidence that Lieutenant Morris is ever going to be a commanding officer. And if he is a commanding yeah. officer, well, good luck to that command. Yep. And, you know, and so I've, like, I've, yeah, I've interacted with chiefs that, that get that frustrated with a JO. Like we, we had a couple of guys that, 
I mean, it, they were universally viewed as rocks like they just didn't get it like functional watch standards in the engineering plant. But like as far as just like the division officer role, couldn't brief the CEO on maintenance, couldn't do any admin correctly, couldn't any function that the chief needed them to do, just couldn't do it, couldn't plan anything, couldn't couldn't function on any other level. Um, and so they'd come at, they'd come into the chief's mess and just be a, like kind of complaining uh, writing off that junior officer and just saying like, this guy is useless. Like I, he just put him in a corner with a dunce hat on. And it's just like, I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, so whose responsibility is it to train JO's chief? And it's just like looking at me, like I know where you're going with this, but, and it's like, there's no, but man, like figure it out. And if you need help, ask us for help and we'll help you. Like there's so many different ways to go with, with fixing this problem. But a lot of times we find ourselves in this place where like the relationship sours for whatever reason and a first term chief who this guy was at the time, it's that's it, once he gets frustrated with it, he's like, ah, this guy's just an idiot. It's like, eh, is he or are you? Is it just like a, a tough nut to crack? Like, is it just a, a leadership challenge that you need to overcome? And then you're going to get a lot of valuable life lessons going forward from because it's your job to do that no matter what. Like, you got to train this guy and you draw on whatever resources you need to. And you, you, if he requires much more effort, then that's just our lot in life. That's the cards you were dealt. Like you're not, it's not always going to be easy where somebody walks in with the attitude that you have and is super humble and ready to receive it. Like that's not the norm. I would say like you, you somewhere in the middle, probably where it's going to be, you got to push a little bit and then break them down. And then eventually they're, re- they're ready to receive and they do. And they understand that that's how they're going to succeed. But, um, yeah, I, it's it's a super important relationship that I don't think is taken as seriously as it should be. And I don't think we spend enough time on both on, on both ends. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't I don't know how it's presented in OCS or at the Naval Academy or whatever, where during the training process for officers, like if it's communicated how important that relationship is and that you should approach it with exactly the the disposition that you described that you do. And on our end of it, like we talk about it a lot during the chief season, but I don't know that we spend enough time driving that importance home during that training and then beyond just because there's so much other stuff to tackle and it's just like it's a short period of time, et cetera. So it's I don't know that it's taken as seriously as it should be. And that's kind of how you end up with those relationships souring and and trust degrading. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can say from the officer perspective, it gets touched upon when you're in yeah. your commissioning source, OCS, the Academy, uh, ROTC, whatever. Um, it, sure. It gets touched upon like, yeah, the, you know, build a good relationship with your chief, but you oftentimes don't think about that. At least uh, again, I'll speak from the aviation perspective. You don't really think about it or get an opportunity to think about it until you get to that first divo job and you're just trying to learn on the fly because no one ever said Hey, the, the chief is who you should seek out. And cool, even if you did know to do that, well, maybe you got a chief that's just not interested in mentoring you. And yeah, then from the chief perspective, happens. maybe you've just got a JO that just thinks he or she knows everything and you don't yeah. need to you don't need to break anything down and, and kind of mold. I think the best case scenario, I've been lucky. I I, I will say I've been lucky. I, I have tried my best to show up with the right attitude of saying, I don't know everything. I know that as the chief, you have eight, nine years, probably more than me in the Navy. Yeah. And you know how to do this job. I mean, you are the chief of 
of the sailors that do the job that you're leading them to do. I am not in that role. I am in the role of a helicopter pilot. I am not in the role of teaching them how to fix the electronics on the helicopter, but you are. And so I, I think the best role that we can have is say, Hey, look, I, and I talked about my, or I talked to my chief about this because uh, I, I wrote an essay uh, about six months ago, I guess, for the U.S. Uh, or the Naval Institute, mm-hmm. and um, it was about leadership. and And I said I, I kind of likened it to a sports team, and I said, as the division officer, I'm not the head coach. It may seem like that because you're kind of like the head of the snake of the division. But you're not the head coach. The chief is the head coach. They're the ones that are leading the people in the battle, you know, so to speak. You know, the battle being, you know, coordinating the maintenance schedule that day, if that's what the battle is. But you are the one that's doing that. I'm not doing that because that's not that's not what my role is, and or that's I'm sorry, that's not my background. Right. What I am is in a role of like the general manager. I, I'm here to give you every single tool that you need. If, yeah. if you, if, if you need to shuffle around the roster and you need to get some people that are on night check and bring them to day check, then I will see to getting that done. Yeah. I am not going to tell you how to run your shop because as a division officer, if I did that, that sours the relationship immediately yeah. because who am I as a, you know, an aspiring young JO, like yeah. showing up and saying, these are all the changes that we're doing and you're going to like it. You know, that's going to immediately turn the division on you. And you don't want that. Yeah. You you want to have an influence. Uh, you want to feel like, you know, during your time as the officer of that division that you had some kind of say in how things ran. But if you show up and you're just, like I said, gloves off and you're just m- trying to make it into a slug fest and people are going to bend to your will, then you're going to have a tough time. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to work. Like It's I not. Just, no, it's, it's the, the times that I've seen that happen. It's like. I, I could tell you, like the way I would react to that is like it'd be almost like like a school teacher with a, a student that's misbehaving. Like, I'm going to close the door behind you and light you on fire like there's a and, and you're all you're going to accomplish is creating a hostile work environment for yourself and nothing's going to change in the shop because it's mine. <laughs> like I, I and that sounds arrogant and like almost like uh, insubordinate, but it's part of the role is like sometimes. I'm going to close the door behind you and tell you no, like, and here's why I'm telling you no, and I'm going to explain it to you and I'm going to conduct that training and mentorship. But what, what has been funny to me is when those interactions do happen, what, what they they get upset and they're like, I'm in charge and I'm, I'm, I outrank you. And then they go talk to in, in the submarine community being as small as it is, it's going to be a department head, but generally the XO is kind of the corraler of the junior officers. And it's like, they'll go talk to the XO and the XO is going to say, what'd your chief say? And then he's going to be like, well, they said this and it will then go do that. Like, what, what are we talking about this for? Like, and, and if it's like, if it's, if they're claiming that they were like, it, cause uh, uh, other times those relationships can sour in a way that the chief was kind of got too fired up and colored outside the lines a little bit. And it was more of like a personal attack. And then that can be the chief was wrong as well. And it's like a, you got to iron all that crap out. But yeah, as long as it was a professional interaction, because like I had a, my last supply officer came to me as a baby ensign. Um, one of the, for one of the newer, so like the, when they integrated females on submarines, the officers that showed up, the supply officers were generally the senior. They, we'd get like a Lieutenant or a Lieutenant commander to mentor all the nuclear trained JOs. So they had like a strong, female experienced officer presence to mentor them 
And as it progressed and we were get, starting to get female department heads in the engineering realm, they started giving us brand new ensigns. So I got like one of the first female ensigns um, and she was very uh, intelligent and motivated, but very immature. And so it's just like <laughs> there was a couple of times where I, it was like raising a daughter. It was like I had to close the door and be like, no, chop, we're not doing that. And here's why. Yeah. And upcheck for her was like she was she would pout and sometimes she'd cry because I was like it was like a disappointed dad conversation where it's like you know like you're you're talking to her like because she screwed up and she didn't want to screw up like she wanted to do a good job and she was motivated to do well but she was good idea ferrying all over the place and like like making calls and doing things without talking to me and like telling the CEO we're going to do something that doesn't make any sense without talking to me and um, and I'm like, what did we talk about? Like, you don't go into a department head meeting or CRXO stateroom without me right next to you. Like that, it, that does not happen until I take the training wheels off. And so it's and it's not because I'm trying to micromanage you. It's because I'm trying to train and protect you. It's different. Like, I don't want the CO to crush your soul because you did something that wasn't the right thing. Like, I'm here to filter things and I'm here to protect you. And like, if you say something wrong, I'll chime in and fix it. And then the CEO will be like, okay. And then eventually he's going to start punching the punching you in the face because he's going to decide the training wheels are coming off because you need to learn how to be a division officer. And unfortunately, in a supply officer's role on a submarine, they're also a department head, which is insane. Shouldn't be that way. But <laughs> that, like she's a brand new baby ensign trying to qualify everything. And they're, why aren't you a better department head? I'm like, she doesn't even know where the engine room is yet. And you're trying to give her a hard time about being a department head. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's something that does happen and needs to happen. And it's kind of counterintuitive for the officer to understand that and, uh, and accept that. But it's like, yeah, there's going to be times where I'm going to talk to you with the disappointed dad voice behind a closed door. And you need to be willing to receive that. And it's like, I'm, I'm not doing it cause I'm a jerk. I'm not doing it cause I don't like you. I'm doing it because it's my job. And I like when you, I, I'm going to give you those lines to color inside of, and I'm going to give you guidelines and training and mentorship. And I'm going to spend all that time with you. If you accept it willingly, it's going to be a lot easier because then you're going to know like, okay, I got to go brief the CEO on this thing. Generally, I'm going to tell them they have to go brief the CEO on this thing or the XO is going to tell them or whatever. So as soon as you hear that and you're like, I got to go interact with the CEO. Okay. Where's senior and go grab me and talk to me about what we're doing. I'll go over everything and stupid check everything and be like, all right, let's go. And then we'll go up there and brief him and I'll just be standing behind her, letting her do her thing. And then if, if something comes up that she's not equipped to handle, that's when I jump in. Like the CEO will ask a question and I can tell, and then she kind of looks back at me and I, that's when I jump in and start talking. Um, yep. And then we talk about that after and say like, okay, here's what you missed and why. And here's how you figure those things out before you go in. So you're prepared to answer that question in the future. And it's like, eventually those training wheels can come off and, you know, she put on JG and she got her dolphins and then she started having those interactions where she would be stupid prepared going in there, briefing the CO and I didn't need to be there. And I wasn't, I wasn't there because she would come get me and I'd be like, what are we doing? She'd brief me on everything. She'd show me everything. I'm like, you're okay. I think you're good. Go do it. And she'd look at me like, but are you coming? And I'm like, no, go do it. You got it. <laughs> and she'd be like, okay. And she'd go do it and come back like skipping onto the mess decks. Be like, see her. Like it went super well. And this is what he said and blah, blah, blah. And he really liked the presentation or whatever. So it was good. So it, it, that happens, but it's like those training wheels are there for your protection. <laughs> not because I want to micromanage you. It's not a power trip on my part. It's like, 
when that happens, that structure is put into place at the very, especially at the very beginning. Cause like, it's going to come, it's going to come away, right? It's going to, I'm going to loosen the reins as you're maturing and developing. Right. But right. It's a lot of times it's interpreted as like, I'm just like going to meet puppet somebody the whole time because I want to keep, I want to keep complete control over the, over the shop. And it's like, no, like this is just, I have to put those training wheels on until you demonstrate to me that you can ride the bike without falling down. Then I'll, then I'll take them off and we'll see what happens. And you're going to fall down and skin your knee a few times, but that's okay. Like that's how you learn. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's, I, I wish it was, I wish that was taken a little more seriously. Um, the, how it, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question. Cause I've spent a lot of time on, um, the trust issues that perceived or real are a problem for junior enlisted. And then as I've talked to some JOs just through like the social media accounts and email and stuff, I've kind of gathered that it's, it can be an issue with JOs and stuff. Do you, do you see that as an issue? Um, and if so, like kind of how does it how does it present itself in the aviation community? The just like the, the tr- break kind oh, of the trust, trust issue. issue. With the- yeah, like the where where perceived or real, like junior enlisted or JOs from your perspective, kind of have these like these moments where they they have issues trusting the mess for whatever for whatever reason. And a lot of times I feel like they're perceived based on a lack of understanding or maybe not enough transparency or communication on one side or both, but they exist no matter what. And one of the things that I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of arrived at the conclusion of is that uh, if, even if it's just perceived on the part of like JOs or junior enlisted, it's like if they perceive that problem to be real, it's real enough that the consequences of that problem actually existing, even if it doesn't, even if it's just a perception because they don't have all the information, it like the the effects are still real. Like they still are going to function as if the problem is real. So you still have to deal with that problem as if it were real. <laughs> the old perception is reality. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's the Navy's favorite quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say that if here's the perfect example of where the trust issue could exist. If the chief's mess is unwilling to say, I might have to adapt my mentorship style to fit different types of officers and for the officer to then say, I graduated from the academy or I went to OCS, so I have the bars on my shoulder Mm -hmm. uh, or bars on the chest, I guess, for type threes. But um, if I've got the bars, so I know what's right and I am not willing to listen to a chief tell me how to do something because I outrank them. That is where the trust issue could, could happen. And if you have that sort of gloves off mentality where you're going to go in and say, this is my division. I don't care that I'm a helicopter pilot and I don't know the jobs of the people that I'm leading. I don't care. We're doing things my way and my way only. And the chief is like, uh, sit down for a second. If, if there is some sort of, uh, I guess, like friction in that relationship, I think that inherently the chiefs are going to have trust issues with the, the wardroom or, or at least the J.O. portion of the wardroom. And then the J.O.s are going to think, oh, the chiefs are just a bunch of jerks. Yeah. You know, and, and they don't they are not going to listen to me. I'm the one that has the academy ideas um, and they're not going to listen to me. And. You know, I went to school for four years for this and 
you know, I think I, I'm obviously making a caricature out of all yeah, of this, yeah. but, but, you know, I think if, if that sort of relationship existed where you as a JO just thought you knew everything and you're getting a little dose of, uh, this is how things actually work from the chief or not a dose, I guess a tall glass of this is how things actually work. Then you could potentially run into that trust issue. I won't say that I've had that yet because I haven't, um, okay. every chief that I've worked for, I've had some, some rough around the edges chiefs. And I've had some, I, I had a senior chief, my very first division chief that I had, I was, uh, the air crewman divo, um, which was kind of a, a nice experience because the people in my division were the people that I did the same job as. Yeah. And so the, the air crewmen are going to be the people that in, in our case, sit in the back of the helicopter and work the rescue hoist or, you know, shoot the guns or anything else that the mission dictates while we fly the helicopter. Yeah. Um, I had a senior chief there that almost to a detriment to me was so good at his job that I almost didn't have to do anything. Like I was the, the quintessential like pencil pusher. Like he would bring me this like perfectly crafted chit or this perfectly crafted uh, eval that I didn't need to do a single change to because he was so locked into his job that I was just like, okay, cool. I will pass this up. Thanks. And I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was just like a sign it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Recommend approval for leave request. Sure. Yeah. Um, that was all I had to do. And then, then I get to, you know, being a maintenance divo, which I'm at, this is my current, uh, collateral job. Yeah. And, it is a lot different because I don't know the processes of the people that I'm, that I am working for. Yeah. And so it requires a lot more of me sitting down with the chief and saying like, Hey, can you mentor me a little bit on this? Can, can you talk to me a little bit about what they're asking for in this case? Or there's a whole program that I didn't even, you know, and, and maybe this is bad on me, but there's a whole program that tracks quals for enlisted that I didn't even yeah. know about. <laughs> Um, for us, it's called ASM. I don't know if it's the same for it's, other communities. Yeah, it's for submarines that we called it uh, CTQS, which is now transitioning to Gnosis. Um, it's web-based, tracks yeah, quals, it, progress, exactly. proficiency, and, stuff like that. And yeah. you've got, as the divo, you've got like a sign-off section yep. as people route, route qual requests or whatever. Yep. This was something I'd never even done. You know, this is not something that's ever been part of my daily ritual when I show up to work, check my email, you know, check the NSIPs and all that stuff. I had never had any need to check ASM. I had nothing had ever been routed to me. So there was no absolute reason for me to check it. And then I get to maintenance and I'm like, what in the heck is ASM? Can somebody teach me what this, <laughs> what this process is? Because I'm getting a whole bunch of emails saying I have yeah. something in my inbox yeah. and I'm like, okay, I got to sit down with the chief in this and, yeah. and we got to hammer out these details. And thankfully that's a small thing to learn. Um, but I, I have never experienced the trust issue because I, I won't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I have always had no problem with taking off that. I am an officer and I know yeah. everything hat and saying like, learn me up chief because I need like that. Maybe I will be a CEO someday. Who knows? But, but I, yeah, if, that's if I don't have this thing, if I don't have this great first experience where, yeah. where you are going to, you know, work me over until you can take my training wheels off for me and then slowly let up like the, the detriment that I was saying with the senior chief was that he was like too good at his yeah. job. Yeah. I needed him to, to need me a little bit more so that I could learn how to be yeah. a ditto a little bit better, uh, with the chief, uh, or the experience that I have in the maintenance side, that chief was all about giving me tough love. But then saying like, okay, this is what you can learn from it. And this is what, 
um, I expect from you next time whenever we do this. Like if we're doing like a, a PB for T, for example, I'll prepare the slide and I'll brief you on what you need to say standing in front of the wardroom, you know, because you're delivering it. Like you were saying earlier, you're delivering it to the XO or the CO, whoever's available. And you are briefing them on the, the training status and the qualification status of your division. Well, again, I'm not I'm not up to speed on on what quals they have unless I am doing a good job of checking ASM, uh, which is the program. Yeah. Um, or if I'm not working with my chief regularly and going to my shop every single day or or, or getting getting some some one on one time with the LPO to say like what are the issues that you're seeing like like we'll, just talk to me uh, you know man to man not first class to lieutenant just talk to me what's the issues in this division what can we bring chief in what can we work together as a little triad almost and say yeah. this is what we can do to fix this yep uh, if you're not willing as a jo to 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 have that vulnerability of yep. saying i know that the chief knows way more than i do yeah. then i think you're just you may be able to get through your time as a divo just fine if you have that attitude but you're doing yourself a disservice i think and you're not and and not only are you doing yourself a disservice, but you're not giving the chief that opportunity. If it's the first, if it's a new chief, you're not giving them that opportunity to learn how to train a divo, right, or a jo. So you're you're doing two individual people a disservice if you're not willing to say, "I don't know everything. Please help me." Yeah, and I would say there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are like the biggest one being that just the the reason you've probably had such positive interactions with chiefs is because you go into it with the attitude that you do because even a chief that's rough around the edges or that's still figuring it out or that is on roller skates on his way to retirement but is still like putting in 60%, you know what i mean? Like cuz sometimes guys don't even realize they're doing that as they're trending towards retiring. Like they still think they're they're still getting after it at 100% and they've really toned it down and don't even realize they're doing it. But even if you're in a role like that, it, it's like the interactions are going to still be way more positive. Just the natural human response is going to be, they're going to want to help you. They're going to want to train you and you're not going to have conflict because you're going in there just with your hands up, humble, ready to receive. And it's like, so what, what issue are they going to have? All they're going to do is, is dispense whatever wisdom and training that they can. And even if it's a big egotistical, like uh guy that's full of himself it's like they're gonna enjoy the fact that you want them to share that that knowledge and wisdom and, and experience so i think that that going into it with that type of attitude is just huge and i wish not only would like jo's do that but there's a lot of chiefs that find themselves in in weird spots where a buddy of mine is uh he was a nuke et on submarines did what's called an engineering department mass chief tour um, some things happened that I still need to talk to him about. So I don't know the details exactly, but he uh, was not able to continue being a new ET. So they cross-rated him and now he's a, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's an AE. So he's an aviation electrician. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So he's an aviation electrician senior chief that has spent the majority of his career as a new ET on submarines. So <laughs> he's going to go to a helicopter squadron somewhere and um, be like a maintenance master chief or whatever that I don't know that some kind of maintenance supervision role. Um, and he's got to now learn all kinds of new stuff. Like he's got to assimilate in a new community. He's got to adjust his worldview, learn all those things you were just talking about, like how it's super different from submarines and learn all the new programs for quals and learn how to manage maintenance and learn what all the terminology means and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, going into a situation like that, the only way you're going to succeed and it's even harder for them, I would think is, 
senior chief has got to be like, hey, uh, A1, come teach me how this how this thing works. Like, what is what do these terms mean? He needs to be walking out to when they're doing maintenance on helicopters and monitoring the maintenance and asking all kinds of questions and figuring all these things out. Because like he has a tremendous amount of experience doing some incredible things, including a ton of maintenance. So like he might have a lot to offer in in helping them make their processes better and like bring some of that submarine perspective and experience to their processes to to like add some value. But there's going to be a ton of stuff that he's going to have to like eat, eat all of the humble pie, like the entire thing yeah. and be willing to let a third class teach him something. Because they're going to know infinitely more like some salty third class that's got four years in a squadron doing all the maintenance on the helicopters, infinitely more knowledge and experience than he has. And he's going to be drinking out of the biggest fire hose ever. And so I think that like there's a lot of roles like that where when I qualified diving off the watch on a submarine, which it's basically like the thing you see in the movie where he's like the guy that gives the order to submerge the ship and blah, blah, blah. Like that's what I that's what I did on my last submarine. I stood three section dive and you're effectively piloting the submarine. So you're there's, you got two guys controlling stern planes and fair water planes. In this instance, you could have uh, bow planes on different classes of submarines, but it's the same thing. So like one controls the angle of the submarine, which if you've got velocity and the, and you get put an angle on something with velocity, it's going to go that direction. Generally um, underwater, there's buoyancy stuff that you have to deal with too. So you bring water in or out to make the submarine either positively or negatively buoyant. And then the propulsion plant is going to drive you in the direction that the angle is pointing. And then you have uh, like, so you have the angle and then you have like the up down, which is the fair water planes. So the stern planes give you an angle. Fair water planes are like you pull up to go up, you push down to go down, right? Just add yeah. depth or, or decrease depth. So you're doing all those things. So you got, you're generally in control of the, both of the planes, you got the rudder, You've got a guy over here moving ballast in and out of the submarine. Uh, you've got the officer deck giving you orders because they control the propulsion plant most of the time. There's a couple of procedures where they don't, but um, and that's me also. So you got a lot going on, and you're coordinating all those things, and you're you're effectively piloting the submarine. Everybody's career progression, except for culinary specialists, involve interfacing with that somehow in some way uh, as they come up through the ranks. So they have some experience um, being in one of the roles in the control room so that they're interfacing with it somehow. And a lot of them uh, interface with it directly. So they'll be the ones we call it sitting sticks. So they'll be either the stern planes or the fair water planes and they'll drive the submarine. And that's the watch that they stand eight hours a day, seven days a week for their first four years on a submarine tremendous amount of experience driving the boat, right? So when it's time to qualify chief of the watch and then diving off to the watch, they've got a ton of like experience and things to build on, right? For, for cooks, it's like, you don't do any of that. You're down in the galley making lunch, right? So it's like the whole first tour on the submarine never did any of that. Second tour on the submarine, I qualified chief of the watch, which it's very procedural based. Um, it's very, I do what I'm told and I do what the book tells me to do. And that's just going to keep me out of trouble. I need a systems understanding to, to know that like what I'm manipulating and how I'm manipulating it and what could go terribly wrong and stuff like that. But generally it's very, if you strictly adhere to the procedures and to the orders you're given, you're going to do okay. Right. Um, so driving the submarine is not as big of a deal. Um, but then sit and dive, like it goes from, very black and white to like voodoo magic where like the ocean gets a say it's like it's oh, yeah. like you're casting spells man it's like uh and and not having any of the context like i'm supervising the guys that are manipulating the the planes and they're very good at what they do generally 
And it's like, I've never done it before. So I'm in this position now where like, that was a really long winded explanation to provide context to. (laughs) I have no idea what those guys are doing. Like, I don't understand what a five degree up angle is going to do. I don't understand how you have to like, like they're going to give you a a course change and they're going to like give you a rudder angle too. So they're going to give you like a 15 degree rudder, but then I don't understand that they have to check that rudder to get the velocity to slow down in a way that they're actually going to end up on their ordered course instead of shooting past it. And now we're off order course. And depending on where we are, that can mean crashing the submarine into something. So it's like, I'm trying to supervise someone that's doing something I've never done before. So I had to spend time with all these seamen in third classes and have them educate me on what they're doing and why they're doing it, why they're throwing the rudder over the opposite direction of the, of the direction we want the submarine to go at this point and then bringing it back and then bringing it back again and trying and like to, to get it on the order course. And like, it's, it's bizarre, man. And you just end up in this weird world where you have to humble yourself. Otherwise you're just going to suck at it. And that the planesmen are going to get mad at you for, if you go up there and you're trying to like fake it till you make it, you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. going to be giving them bad orders to, to do things that are going to not get us on order course or depth. And they are, they know what the right answer is and I'm not trusting them and I'm not listening to their input. So they're going to stop making suggestions and recommendations and backing me up. And then we're all going to get punched in the face all the time and no one's going to be very <laughs> happy about it. So it's, I, I wish that that attitude was more prevalent all the time, everywhere at every level, because that like you could learn so much more because there's stuff that, um, that like that supply officer I was talking about, I learned things from her and she was like a 23 year old ensign, but she had experience with other things. Like she's a, she's on the, uh, it's like the Navy's cross country team. So like, she's like this crazy runner that's been doing it as she did it at the Naval Academy. And she's got a ton of experience with that. So like, I'm a, I'm crap at running. So like we talked about stuff like that. We talked about like, yeah, um, it's just things she had experience with that I didn't. And it's just like, you learn things from those people too, that if you're, if, but only if you're willing to receive those things. Yeah. I think the, the biggest problem that a command has, like if a command is not doing well, when you look at like the culture question, assuming that you're taking out all legal problems that could cripple a command, if you're just looking straight up at a culture that is not doing well, I guarantee you that embedded within that is people that don't think the people below them in rank should tell them how to do something. Yeah. And and I think like as a divo, if you're not willing to listen to the chief and if as a senior chief, if you're not willing to listen to the first class and as the commanding officer, if you're not li- willing to listen to the, what are the, what's the JO pulse on the squadron? Um, or, or what's the, the master chief have to say about, you know, what's the, what's the pulse of the mess? You know, if you're not willing to look at those and say, I can learn from you, then you, you, I've said it already. I mean, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're crippling either your division or if you're the CEO, you're crippling your command. Yeah. If you are not willing to say there are people in this command that know more than I do at certain things. Yeah. And as a commanding officer, you probably know the most about flying helicopters. For sure. In a helicopter squadron. But do you know the most about what problems female junior enlisted sailors are seeing right every right. day no of course you don't <laughs> and so if you're not willing and i'm i'm not using any specific commanding officer for example that's yeah. not what i'm doing but if you are if you are the commanding officer and you are saying like i know what junior enlisted female sailors need 
Yeah. Uh, n- yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and, yeah. and, you know, for me, I'm, I'm married, but I don't have kids. And so when I am, uh, when I'm dealing with, uh, I'm not gonna say dealing with, that's a negative connotation. When I am interacting with sailors in my division that have family problems structured around, you know, their kids schedule, I can't relate to that. I don't have kids. I have a couple of cats, but I, they don't, you know, they don't have to go to school or they don't have to go to daycare or anything. And so, you know, I, I can't empathize, but I can say, what can I do to help you? Yeah. And if you, and that is such an important question, that is such an important question that every body of every rank should be able to say to anybody else in any other right. rank. Yep. If you could boil down to what the Navy needs more of, it is being, being able to say, this is what I need help with. And what can I do to help you? Right. Just Man, stripping I, rank. So stores loads, right. On submarines. Yep. I, I can't tell you how far it goes when a, ju- a junior officer who has nothing else going on at the time decides I'm going to take my blouse off and start humping boxes like d- yep. the the credibility gained with junior enlisted because that spreads like wildfire all over the whole submarine that like Lieutenant J.G. Smith was uh, topside humping boxes with with everybody for like four hours. They don't have to do that. It's extremely easy for them to get away with it. Another, another big one is like when we come back from deployment, we have a bunch of trash on the submarine that has to get offloaded and it's disgusting. Like there's like the black plague oozing <laughs> out of this crap and it smells Ooh. nasty and <laughs> inevitably the odor barrier bags are leaking and like it's gross. And the one of the things that I always end up doing is I stand topside on the submarine and I pass trash and I'm a senior chief. I could very easily not touch any trash and I do it every single time. And it's not because they need my help. It's because I want them to see me doing it. Because I'm not above humping trash when we get home from deployment because I want my guys to go home. And if I hump trash, maybe it'll help them go home faster. And it's just like that. It's a it's a big thing that if you have the bandwidth to do it, which a lot of JOs don't have that much going on uh, on a submarine when we're in that phase. Right. Like sometimes they do like there. Sometimes they are very busy and it is what it is. But if you have the opportunity to do something like that, it just like it opens you up to like a whole new perspective like it it, because you'll get to sit there and talk to the junior guys too even if they're not yours directly you get to they're going to start coking and joking with you they're going to get a little more of a rapport with you and it's important that the 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 professionalism is maintained where like there's still a line rank still exists good or discipline still a thing but you can do both like you can you can have a rapport with junior enlisted and and the more you do that, the more they're going to be willing to seek you out when they have problems and when they need that help. It's like it's a big thing that you can do. That's just stupid easy. Like what can, like CMCs a lot of times they'll come down and like serve a meal to the crew like on a holiday. Like it's like it's a thing. It's like it's it brings it brings some barriers down. It makes people a little more comfortable um, and shows shows them that they care. You know, like. It's, it, yeah, absolutely. I wish, I wish there was more of it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to say that that's all the questions I had. You got any safe rounds or alibis? Anything we didn't talk about? No, I, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you know, I, I really I have, enjoy it, man. I have, uh, like I said, I, I've, I, re- I wrote an essay and I talked to the chiefs a little bit then, but mm-hmm. it is, it's so refreshing to, uh, sit down with a chief and say like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's super rewarding and it's especially helpful that we're not in the same command or not in the same chain of command or anything like yeah. that. So we can literally just talk about what we're thinking, 
Um, and it's, it's very refreshing. So no, I, I don't have any saved rounds or anything. I I thought this was a blast. So I, I'm very appreciative that you brought me on. Oh yeah. Well, I really appreciate you doing it. Why don't I just tell everybody where, if like, if they wanted to, how can they get a hold of you if they wanted to ask you any questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I happy to answer personal emails, um, or Navy emails. My Navy email is Zachary with an H dot L dot Morris at Navy dot mil. Um, or you can find me, uh, on Facebook at, uh, I think it's facebook.com slash the landing strip. Okay. Just, I caution I'll, I'll put it all ca- in the show notes yeah, too. So I they caution can find people you. to be, be careful because the landing strip is also something very, very different from a comic strip, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. you will, which you will find out if you're not careful. <laughs> if you so, Google it. Yeah. Oh, and I guess I do have one save round. That is my absolute favorite thing about having a strip that is named what it's named because yeah. I get so many people, females will message me and say like, Hey, what are your hours? I wanted to dance for your club. And oh, uh, I need, <laughs> I need to know if you're taking like new dancers. And I'm like, Ooh, I think you're not looking for this yeah, landing did, strip. Yeah, I don't think it's not the same thing. <laughs> that is my favorite. That's my hilarious. Favorite, uh, interaction to have online. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so yeah, put that in the show notes. I, awesome. you know, I, it's, you can find me the, 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 image for the comic strip is just the logo so it it's not anything uh yeah it's just a little helmet that's on fire the helmet fire is like the international symbol for being a pilot in flight school uh. and so <laughs> that's uh that's the image that i went with so yeah and then the comic is the landing strip dot or the landing strip comic.com is that is that right it, uh, I don't have the website is very very out of date. In fact, oh, I, okay, I'm in the gotcha. process of taking it down. So, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, face Facebook, uh, the Facebook. Facebook page for it, and then Got Instagram. It. I have uh, the Landing Strip Comic um, at the Landing Strip Comic is my okay. Instagram handle. So I'm pretty diligent about replying to those. So if anybody has any questions, I do a lot of, uh, if you're interested in aviation and you want to submit a joke, I absolutely, a bunch of my jokes have come from people (laughs) saying like, Hey, this would be hilarious. So, um, I am not above, I'm not the end all be all of this comic. So if anybody has an idea, please reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks, sir. I really appreciate you doing it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I, I did. Uh, I had a great time talking to him. It was cool to uh, learn about it. Anytime anybody goes on like a creative endeavor it, while they're on active duty, expressing whatever they express is it, it always interests me just kind of how it happened, what compelled them to to actually put themselves out there and, and communicate whatever they're trying to communicate uh, and then kind of what their plan is for for where they go from here selfishly because of what I do and and I'm trying to figure that all out for myself and where this platform goes from where it is now and then just to to figure out like why they do it so that hopefully that helps others that are considering doing something similar no matter what it is um I the next episode you guys will hear come out is uh is somebody that is doing something kind of more in the nonprofit like help people out realm in the relation to mental health, um, which again, same thing, like for whatever reason, a person's experiences guides them to, to figure out kind of what their mission actually is personally and what they want to devote themselves to and why. And so I, I just find that really interesting. And I think there's a lot of interesting leadership lessons to be taken from that, especially in how we help encourage a sailor which at the end of the day is just another human being to 
pursue the things that they're passionate about in and out of uniform so that they can become, become better humans and better sailors. Um, so it's always a fun thing to kind of work through and, and learn, uh, why people do what they do. So, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys continue to enjoy everything. And if you do, um, or you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message me. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM me on Instagram or Reddit DGUS podcast. Uh, we have a sub there as well. If you want to jump on and discuss the content of the episodes and let us know how we're doing and provide that feedback. It's, it's much appreciated. If you want to help us out in any way, uh, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can go to dgustpodcast.com slash shop. You can pick up t-shirts, magnets, stickers, stuff like that. Uh, that helps us keep the lights on and pay all the subscription fees and such. And then uh, also you can just like, share, subscribe, review on iTunes and social media and all the platforms really. Uh, it helps anytime you guys are willing to, to help get the content out there organically by sharing it, liking it, reviewing it, all that. Uh, or just sending somebody the link for a, an episode that you think might help them out. Uh, it helps get the word out there and, and doesn't cost us anything. So we always appreciate that. And uh, that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>